Hey, Internet, my name is Jonathan Fisk. You have fallen under the influence, but I'm here to rescue you. He is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now, and he won't be long anyway. Welcome to the Mad Christian Saturday morning chill. Hey, check it out. Uh, Light truly is sweet. Pleasant to the eyes beneath the sun. But though a man live many years and rejoice in them all, let let him remember the days of darkness which are coming. For all is vanity. Ecclesiastes 11, 7 to 8 to start off your Saturday morning. What do they call this now? A cyber Saturday? I don't know. Not resting day? <laughs> not the Sabbath day. What was yesterday? Chaos day. Uh, worship of crazy consumerism day. I don't know. Uh, I did give thanks the last few days to my God for my country, for my congregation, for my family. And I've tried to, to respect what I think he teaches about rest, which is that it's a good work, actually, to do it from time to time. Not to go more crazy, but to go less crazy. Uh, To get a little sobriety of mind by calming the spirit. Uh, Sitting with friends and family around a feast. uh, Laughing, as it were. In fact, we pulled a proverb out for that one. You know, a feast for laughter, the Bible says. Yeah, so some of that. Uh, But then also a lot of pondering for myself here uh, as I try to take a vacation, too. While at home. While doing TV. um, (laughs) And asking, what does it mean to rest? And then pondering as I've been encouraging you forever, if you listen to anything I'm doing right now, all I'm saying everywhere else besides Jesus has risen and the cross paid for your atonement, right? Like beyond that, my message to you right now is you should read the Proverbs. You really, really should be reading the Proverbs. If you are not reading the Proverbs every day, you are about the dumbest person in the world. That's what the book says, okay? So I'm, look, don't shoot the messenger, but get in on it, right? And Proverbs will lead you, God willing, to Ecclesiastes, one of the most profound total works I think I've ever seen. Oh my goodness. And, and um, they just finished again a read through. I'm, I'm never going to stop rereading this book now. And then Job, you want to master something. You want to understand the wisdom of the wise, the riddles, right? Uh, as, as Proverbs 1 verse 2 talks about, um, Job would be the, the riddle by the riddle master himself, I think. So, but, but for today, um, uh, here's just a couple of the things I've found the last few days that I have found most inspiring to me, beginning with the fact that my Bible says the days of darkness are coming. It's, it's like, it's like the winter is coming, right? And, and if you listen to myself and Dr. Koontz on A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys, you know about, or you will be knowing about, I'm sorry, we just recorded this one. It's coming up Thursday. You will be hearing about the dark winter. And the language of the dark winter in political discourse on the global stage right now, maybe even out of potential presidents of the United States of America. And so what do they mean when they talk about the dark winter? And what was a dark winter? Where does that idea come from? What happened in, say, oh, I don't know, Jamestown when they settled it that first winter? How'd it go for them, that dark winter? And, and the you know, Martin, the writer of Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, um, who I wonder if he really won't finish it on purpose as part of the thematic like identity of the, of the series, the more I ponder it. In any case, um, <laughs> uh, the phrase of the Starks, winter is coming, that he builds into the theme of the entire series, whether you ever read the series or not, is the idea that civilizations always experience thriving long summers during which the children and the children's children completely forget and disbelieve the narratives of well, you know, there's this boogeyman that's actually called death, 
I don't know, winter, <laughs> right? Um, I would call it actually from a Christian perspective, uh, civilization's tendency to eat itself to death uh, and to collapse in on itself, especially in the cities, uh, that kind of thing. And so when Solomon tells you, hey, you know, no matter how good the summertime feels, no matter how good the harvest has been, no matter how many years of bumper crop are on the way, hey, hey, Joseph, yeah, I, well, no matter what, you might want to remember what planet you live on. And that the mythology that's told you it'll be summer here forever is a lie. Winter is coming. And, oh, wait, but it does get to be Christmas if you catch my drift. So it's not all that bad when you remember that the fantasy story, the epic quest you live in, uh, was not Martin's Song of Ice and Fire's Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. And he says, hey, guys, don't forget while you're waiting for me to come back, winter is coming. The dark days do exist. And that's been my kind of theme for myself. What do I do? Ah, panic. No, that's not what you do. <laughs> don't panic. What do you do? Dude? Panic's like the worst thing ever. Where was I just reading about that? Mm. It was in this. That's pretty good resource. If you, I just picked this one up at Barnes & Noble because I'm like that. I, I'm, I, I can't walk into that store. Like, don't let me near that store. In any case, <laughs> this one looked pretty good. And there were a couple for kind of Christmas gifts. So I picked up the survival guide. And I, I just picked through the initial section on it. And so I got some really good notes out of this thing. Like, like, the definition of survival is really good. To live on after hope is gone. Survival is to live on after hope is gone. Hello, Christians. Welcome to superpower. You know, welcome to survival mentality built into your religion. Like the de definition of it. Very cool. Uh, requirement for survival. Courage. Uh, rage, a will, a psyche, a desire to, and here's the thing, here, what, what do you have to do? What do you have to will? Self-rescue. So survival is a di desire to will self-rescue because there is no hope. But here's the thing, Christian, you're never without hope. You always know the rescue's coming, so you always have another reason to survive. You can hold out long enough, you know it. You can affect self-rescue while you wait for help, which is the definition of survival anyway. Because you're really expecting to get helped if you're out in the wilderness lost, right? You're not really going to get like out on your own and then not helped. <laughs> right? You're looking for help. Survival then is the courage, the rage, the will, the psyche, the spirit to continue on after all apparent hope is lost, affecting self-rescue temporarily. Ah, Christians should rock at this. Prioritizing things like protection, location, food, water. That's what you should think about. If you're really worried about crisis right now, do you have food? Do you have water? Do you have a backup plan? I remember listening to these announcements back on KFU. I was like, does your family know where to meet in the case of emergency? Do you have a plan? And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. I've never, I never actually really sat down with them about it. We all live in the same place and like work in the same place now, which helps a lot. But like that idea is not a bad idea. That was, that was way before COVID. You know? uh, injury, wind, wet, cold. These are just facts from the, from the survival book. In injury, wind, wet, cold. They account for uh, most dark winter deaths. It doesn't use the phrase dark winter, but uh, congealing of information, you know. Um, so if you if you actually are in a survival situation, like your car gets breaks down in the winter or something like that, injury, wind, wet, cold. Those are bad things, right? You want to avoid those. So you want to survive somewhere in your house? Do you have the opposite of those? Do you have a, a first aid kit? Do you have a way to protect from storm? And cold, right? Right. That's why you have a house, right? That's the idea. It's one of the things that came across my plate again, just as a, a passing comment from someone. It's such a go in though. It's like, why would you want to have a go bag? Why wouldn't you have a stay bag? Like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense, right? Think about that one for a bit. And then here's just some more tidbits from survival. Um, in hot climates, heat also does kill, but heat kills more slowly than cold does, which is why cold is a more pressing situation. Winter is coming, you know, that kind of thing. Um, both physical and uh, psychical, that's my word, conditioning 
uh, matter. So what, what does that mean? First, physical conditioning matters. You want to survive out in the wilderness because you, you know, your car breaks down, you got to hike over the mountains or whatever. Um, your physical conditioning will have an impact on that, right? Um, so in a situation where society is unable to eat as well as it used to for a month or three due to who knows what kind of thing, you know, breakdown in food supply and all that, uh, your physical conditioning will matter. And it no storing up extra uh, fat cells does not necessarily mean you're better fit to survive a, a dark winter. It do, doesn't really mean that. Um, so, what do we mean when I say psychical? I don't know. Um, psychic is what I want to say, but that word's so tarnished that it's hard to say it. Although it really is, I think, a good word if we can understand that psychic just means your mental energy. You definitely have that in your body and yourself. Where the idea that you can like read other people's minds is kind of nonsense. But if you look at them, you can see they have psychosis too. Hey, look at you. What's going on in your head? Yeah, right. So like, like we've lost the ability to talk about that and what it would mean to have, say, uh, fortitude in conversation, right? Or mental fortitude. We maybe say that, well, that would be, well, what, uh, uh, psychic conditioning. If you take the old meaning of the word before it got tarnished by a bunch of random witches. So in any case, um, the idea is here, you want to have a mental and a physical conditioning if you hope to survive, right? And by the way, you can apply all of this to your Christianity, throwing away anything about the initial physical aspect of like, like mountain climbing and get into the physical aspect of reading your Bible every day. You want to survive in the, in the white noise darkness? Well, physical and mental conditioning, physical and spiritual conditioning. Your devotional life needs to be a habit of reality that involves your body. <laughs> I mean, you have to use your eyeballs, right? Your ears, your brain, you breathe and to be able to like actually pay attention. You got to breathe. And believe it or not, taking deep breaths makes it better. Try it sometime. So anyway, um, all of this applies across the board to your Christian conditioning, uh, Christian discipline. Uh, the pagan works always do. This is the marvel of Christianity is we can actually see more uh, because we can apply it to our faith almost immediately because it's our God who built this world. A anyhow, anyhow. Uh, good muscle memories are the uh, optimum goal. This is just for survival. I, I mean, this is the idea you have behind memorizing Bible verses, though, right? Same idea. Um, uh, from endurance to tactics. I see, oh, here's what, here's what brought us here was panic, right? Don't panic. Um, panic. Panic is the giving away of rational thought into the illogical, irresponsible action. Think about it. You're not only jumping from thought to action, you're stopping rational thought and you're starting irrational action, right? right? That's panic. Don't do it. Or if you're like, I'm panicking. Okay, what do you do when you're, I'm panicking? Do nothing. Take a deep breath, right? Stop panicking. That's the only thing you should do. A lack of confidence born of a lack of discipline. So panic sets on when you have not prepared. Right? Discipline has not prepared you to foresee the reality. You're like, I'm crazy. I'm going to run. No, don't. <laughs> right? I mean, if it's a bear, probably. But generally, um, panicking, even in front of a bear, like, don't run. I've, I've seen, seen video of this. If you just start running right away, that is bad. Don't. Stand there. He'll come up. He'll sniff you. Do all this stuff. Right? Um, again, I'm not a zoologist. Do not take me to the bank on that. Go Google bear avoidance on your own. The idea is don't panic. Yeah, the idea is don't panic. So, um, goodness, the world we live in. Uh, to survive, you must believe you can. That's why panic is bad. Panic is believing you can't survive. Stop it. <laughs> and then on that assumption, reasserting self-control and patience. These sound like Christian virtues. Uh, building toward clarity and wise action. So again, I'd recommend if you're looking for anything, for just some Christmas time shopping for your local man and some good reading, this particular one, uh, The Essential Survivor Manual, Ken Griffiths uh, from Barnes & Noble. I'm liking it, but if you give it to him, give him a stack of six by four cards and some good pens or like a pen with his name on it so he feels really guilty and then like say like but you have to smart note it just in case we all are going to die then you will be our hero father husband man grandpa whatever son you know do that
bind them to these things because this, you don't panic. Just learn some basic skills just in case there's ever a situation where you need to use them. You cannot stop it. Look, if they drop nukes, there's nothing we can do. But if they drop nukes 50 years from now, there's something we can do right now. We should be learn how to do stuff, right? That's the best thing. Just take one step at a time. Trust your God. Believe that we're not on the verge of actual global collapse just because the global narrative is on the verge of collapse. Remember, you live in a very real place with very real stuff around you that mostly is ignored as everyone's zooming around trying to live the global narrative. And it's not to say that you can't participate in that as a healthy citizen. You certainly can. Just don't be deceived by the myth. Yeah, don't be deceived by the myth. Um, have some wisdom to understand that... Uh, uh, the company may not always be there forever to pick up. And, you know, the plan you bought into when you were young, well, we're going to retire you early with a little bit less of that. Well, see, when the U.S. decides to do that, I mean, well, you're just going to be like stuck where you are. Your family, your generations will be stuck where they are. And that's the gambit. Again, if you want to get into that kind of talk a bit more, I don't want to do that a lot of that this morning. Um, that's brief history of power stuff. It's really worth thinking about, you know, Christian discernment in the present age, all that. Um, but for today, again, I want to focus on just general wisdom. We got into don't panic, general wisdom the pagans understand. Ha. Even though winter is coming, right? The darkness, as we should say it our way, the days of darkness are coming. Ah, but here's one. This is so good. So Ecclesiastes 9-11. I remember my buddy Mark Payne. You can find him on Twitter. He doesn't tweet enough, enough to show up in my feed for some reason. Um, I don't know why. I'd like to hear what you're saying, Mark. Um, uh, he's a good dude out there. Anyway, he pointed this out to me way back when we were at seminary. And he said to me, um, uh, you know, this is the most, like the most important thing a competitive person can learn. And it, it so is. And I, as a competitive person, I still don't think I've learned it. But Ecclesiastes 9.11 says this. It says that the race is not to the swift, the battle not to the strong, bread not to the wise, wealth not to the learned, nor fame to men of genius, but time and fate rule all destinies. That's, that's my translation there at the end, but, uh, you know, fate and chance, time and chance, however you want to put it, chaos and accident, God, uh, God in his providence, which has allowed the suffering to be exacerbated so that we might be redeemed from and through it, God in his great providence does not always let things work out the way it would appear that they should. And this is the case like on a billion levels from quantum physics to why you didn't win the race, even though you tried the darndest hardest and all the TV said you should just try hard and you'd have your dreams come true, right? Well, I mean, if you can't admit that maybe you're just duped, you might be the fastest and you still might lose. And that, that's what the Bible says. <laughs> and we could be Job and still lose. Because God is working out a different path, a better thing. And the key to your contentment is to know that more firmly than any other expectation you set for yourself today, tomorrow, forever. Is know firmly that the better path is the one you end up on, that your feet are set upon it, that it is, it is not uh, wide in the sense that everyone finds it, but so far as it is for you, it is wide and that it is firmly set. It's, there's no slipping stones or trippy spaces. You simply are on and in and under the roadway that is the body of Jesus Christ. And so everything else that's happening, like, yeah, apply the wisdom, which says more or less, I, I think if you study all wisdom, it says, you know, 95% of the time, if you do the right thing, it will turn out the way you want. If you work hard, you are going to succeed in some way. You can seize discipline and so by seize success. That's Proverbs 1, 3, I think. So that's true, but not without the caveat that God is God. And he sets the measurement. And if he decides to change the 
length of a day without telling you about it or just to mess with you even or maybe not to do it and make it seem that way. <laughs> I mean, that's why you should just listen to him, right? Listen to what he says, believe what he says and not try to figure it out on your own because time and chance, well, while they are usually able to be discerned as kind of making sense, they also tend toward irrationality and what the fool becomes, which is a mad man for sure. So I, and of course, because I am the mad Christian, I had, to, I love it when this stuff jumps out. Uh, when it talks about madness, here we go. Where, where is it? Uh, truly, Ecclesiastes 8, 3 says, truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. This is so much better than Genesis 6. I always used to go to Genesis 6 to try to prove to friends and neighbors that they had, you know, sin exists back when I was in the, like, I'm going to prove it point of view. And like, Genesis 6 is the place because of the, you know, inclinations of men's heart are evil from their youth. Yeah, this is better. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 8.3 is better. The hearts of the sons of men are are ever full of evil, period. Right? There's no like the kind of or they seem to be or historical thing. This is a declaration. This is dogma. Right? They're evil from the youth. Madness is in their hearts while they live and after they die. Life. Uh, and, and, well, mm, yeah. And no life after they die. I think I wrote that wrong. Uh, madness is in their hearts while they live is the big idea here. Remember, I mean, I, I've I've, ta- I've tossed this out there before, the zombie apocalypse idea, like like to help gamify a little bit. Reality, remember that everyone who's not inspired of the Holy Spirit, born again by water and the word, a Christian who can say he's risen from the dead, that they are in fact a zombie. They really are, not kind of, but actually they're just not eating your brains with blood. They're eating your brains with spirit by lying to you, right? So, So if you can see that that's actually the real world you live in right now. Um, then it's very helpful to remember that madness is in their hearts. That's what the Bible says. That's good. That's good wisdom. Go chew on, right? Ecclesiastes 8.3. Uh, wisdom, by the way, aside from being, oh, this is so good. The, uh, Ecclesiastes 12.11. The words of the wise are like goads. The, uh, those of scholars like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. The idea here is that, you know, a firm foundation for building on. You can always rely on the words of the wise. Further, my son, be admonished by these. And though the making of many bur- of books, there is no end. Of the making of many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the man. The conclusion is certain. This is, of course, my translation again. Uh, fear Jesus. Keep his commandments. This is man's all. For every labor, God shall enter the measurement. Even the highest orders and secret things, the good and the evil alike. That's uh, the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ah, uh, so back to then wisdom being better than strength. That's 916. Wisdom is better than strength. How much time do we give to making sure our sons have wisdom while they're also in the gym these days? <laughs> yeah, I think not much. I think not. Uh, words of the wise are soft, it says in uh, 9.17. The words of the wise are soft. Now, maybe that the, the word soft there could be misunderstood. What it means is quiet, right? Whispered. Probably better translation there. Words of the wise are whispered. So listen, because it is hard to hear above the din of fools. Uh, that's 917, translation mine, but again, it'll be pretty close. Uh, the words of the wise are whispered, so listen, it is hard to hear above the din of fools. Uh, 918, it's all right in a row there. Wisdom supersedes armor. Oh, but a single wicked man affects much harm. Uh, let's see here, and I had one more I wanted to give you. Did I lose it or did I already use it? I'll oh, just to come back again, hear it, hear it, hear it. Light is sweet. Pleasant to the eyes beneath the sun, but though man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness which are coming. <laughs> For all his vanity. And it's not really a joke, although the Christian is definitely able to laugh at it. 
The world might call him mad, but it's the world that's gone insane. Be right back. I also want to talk about this book, Influence, with you this morning. Just some more notes to throw it at you. Um, I, I listened to this book year and a half ago, maybe about halfway through it. And it scared me so much on listen, listening. Um, I, I think what happened was like, I talked to my wife about it. She listened to some of it too on audible. And, um, we were, I was like, honey, that's so scary. I don't even know what to think about a world in which this kind of science exists. And she was like, yeah. And then gaslighting. I mean, I just kept going notifications and whatever. I forgot, honestly, I probably just forgot, but then somewhere down inside of me, there's that blue pill too, right? It's like, Oh, but I don't want to, I don't want to remember that. Well, no more blue pill for me. No way. So I, 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 um, I, I bought it again. I bought it again. I bought not the audible, but the physical. Could I say that I, I pulled an audible to get the physical instead of the audible. Can I say that? Would I sound like Bill Clinton if I did? Oh, look at that. So what is amazing about this, this is a book about psychic compliance. Again, I used that word psychic earlier, psychical. If you want to say psychological, you can, but I think as soon as you do that, you're playing a different game and it's a different school of thought and it's, it's wrong. <laughs> it is based on like the belief that there is no God, like at its root. So like, sorry, error, tangent, right? Don't, don't do that. Don't compute wrong from the beginning and then try to build on it. Can't, you gotta go down the foundation. So hey, whatever we're going to talk about is what's in your mind. It's what the Bible means when it says nephesh or soul or, or spirit. I mean, it in the, in the human, the, the unity of the person, the inner being, uh, whatever you want to call it, influence this book details, the ability to compel compliance in that mind without your consent. That's the fact. Tactics for a yes and then some. The science of strategic principles for guiding compelling, illiterate human compliance. Now, I'm just touching on this thing from my own notes here initially, but you just so you know, here's what they do. There's the six main categories of things they use, and if they're using all six of them, you basically can't win, even if you know sometimes. Uh, consistency, reciprocation, social proof, authority, liking, and scarcity. He mentions material self-interest as a given, and I'm not so sure. I'm going I'm to think about that a little bit more, but the point is that there is a commissible force. That is, you can buy. You can pay for this. You can pay other people to do this for your message. A commissible force to incorporate, that is, to move into one body, donations, concessions, votes, assents, and other purchases. Now, all of this really happens once you have enough money to funnel into it to create more, which is what the big guys always do up there in uh, uh, altered carbon land. In any case, the point is it can create from the consumer particularly automatic mindless compliance. That's just from the introduction, this page X1V, right? Direct quote, automatic mindless compliance. The book Influence. If you haven't checked it out, you probably should. Found it from Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Hello, everybody. Uh, so there's some standard principles. Uh, what Here's an early one is that stereotyping is a tool that is in nature. It's used by everybody, including little birdies. So don't t- say it's racism when the turkeys feed their little baby chickies because the chickies go cheap cheapies and that that's the stereotype like literally the audible sound stereo uh, and the type the symbol that the bird responds to in order to feed the cheapies little babies okay so cheap cheap so much so that if you take away the cheap cheap from the baby the bird will kill its own baby and so much so that if you put a stuffed but actual body of a polecat the natural enemy of the turkey a little thing inside of the go cheap cheap the turkey will take care of it like it's its baby that's how dumb the turkey is you might say, but as the book says, takes a trickster like a scientist to say something like that. Ooh, 
Ooh, brief history of power. Were you listening to that one right there? Go, oh my goodness. In any case, um, in nature, it is a way, a stereotype is a way to survive the white noise. Go figure. It's a way to have, when there's too much overloaded stimulation, to have a clear direction. This is what rules of thumb Proverbs, wise sayings tend to be for human civilizations. And again, these are necessary and have been so far as humans have tried to communicate wisdom from generation to generation. All right. So the thing is, the problem is if someone knows what a stereotype is, they can use it against you, right? That's how you can put the polecat into the turkey nest, right? Is because you're using what is good and put in there by nature against nature itself for your own benefits. Like the definition of, I guess, capitalism, if by capitalizing, you don't mean lifting all ships, but only your own, which is why I guess capitalism needs to be something debated. I'll tell you, communism ain't the answer you Foos. I pity the foo. I pity the foo. Who thinks communism the answer? Because uh, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody does. And it's not funny. It really. Uh, the more you think about it, the more you see England, it's less funny. Just go watch all that stuff again and think about it. Any case. Any case. Automatic behavior generating pre-thunk solutions. Various times, canned, homegrown, storied, and old. Proverbs, rules of thumb of all kind. Things you assume to be true, right? An inescapable quality of human complexity and variable life. So you have to do this. He, he says it's all a modernism thing. I think it's more than that. I think modernism over-amplifies it by making our needs appear bigger than this. And it compounds. But that's just my own you know, crazy thinking. And maybe maybe too far on that for you. The point here is that if a salesman knows a rule of thumb that you use, you'll say yes when it comes to selling. That's the point. There's a lot more in here. Ethology is how we know about these like cheap, cheap birdies and stuff. Anyway, the book is called Influence. I'm just into it. Some of it will show up somewhere else with something to do. That's the one thing you do when you smart notes. You find out it works everywhere. It's magic. It's not magic. It's writing. Um, <laughs> I mean, how do we forget? Oh, well, TV is how we forgot. Uh, again, I'll just be right back in a moment. All right, so questions from you all today. We've got some good stuff here. We're going to start with Judith, who says this, Pastor Fisk, thank you for the work you continue to do. You may have noticed a lot of talk about narcissism in the press and the internet recently. Actually, not recently, if by like you mean just this last six months. If by recently you mean in the last 10 years, yeah, sure. It's definitely become a pop term of accusation as you're going to talk about. Um, I have been a recommender of a book called The Narcissism Epidemic for a long while now. I don't even know when I started recommending it. Uh, Gene Twangy, I believe, is the author. Highly useful. Um, and yet... Well, like many other things, what was the solution? We didn't have one. I think we do now. I think the solution is that modernism is a lie. You got to stop believing in it. Uh, but, but again, what what is this problem? Well, again, I'll let your question lead us into it. But the book, the narcissism epidemic was way ahead of the curve on this thing, way ahead of the curve. And then the pop usage is way behind the curve. It doesn't really necessarily even know what it's talking about, right? There was more up-to-date research being done by these same scientists today. I mean, they've been working for 12 years on this stuff, right? That's not what people are usually going to be talking about. It seems like, as you say, everyone from pop commentators, life coaches, psychologists, and eminent professors have much to say on the subject. Evidently, there are several varieties and numerous manifestations of the problem. Yeah, the easiest one is it's a lot like the word Nazi. 
So as long as you're the Nazi and I'm not, I'm right, right? And so if I can say you're a Nazi with enough conviction in my heart to convince me that you're the Nazi, I think you're the Nazi. It doesn't matter if you say or not. A Nazi would lie. Well, then I get a win, right? Well, if you're a narcissist and just care about yourself, and then I can only care about myself because that's what we have to do in order to like, look out for number one and stuff, right? And so, you know, you know, uh, yeah, that's the way it turns out. It's not repay evil with good. That's not how people do it. You have to tell people to do it that way. And then they're like, no, that sucks. <laughs> and you have to be a Christian and be like, well, but it seems right anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, see, see what I'm saying? So, so the reason it's showing up is because it's an easy way to end discussion because the goal of most talk on any media box today is not to have you talk back. It's instead to end discussion with you convinced that this is the way that it is. And again, the, the audiovisual mixture reality and the more you add music to it, the more it'll do this, is there to turn off the um, natural thinking sensors and turn on the natural feely sensors and make it so you feel as much truth while thinking as little of it as possible. And then you'll walk away convinced it's called a magic brainwashing box. I, they don't they don't call it that. I think that's what the, they, they called it in the initial like research files, whoever did that thing. Um, but what it is, again, is just the television, tell you what to see. <laughs> Maybe they did call it just what it is. I don't know. So going on, as a pastor, Judith... Really, Judith? Um, I was wondering what you thought of this. Um, is it a fancy name for sin? Uh, it could be. It could be. And you're onto something there. Because incurvatus, the idea that sin is the curved inwardness, the self-looking at selfness of man, uh, which definitely shows up in uh, the late medieval discussions that end up in the Lutheran confessions. Um, yes, so there is that. However, I think it's, it's a far more narrow term than sin, really. Uh, it, it's a, it is a particular way that sin manifests itself in the psyche and from my understanding, and I'm going to reach here a little bit here, you know, for, for my understanding, the, the one time and a half that I read the book, um, narcissism is when the individual on a diagnosable like test score basis, written tests, like you know you're going for the narcissism test and you fail it, right? <laughs> like uh, that person thus diagnosed literally doesn't think other people really exist as humans in the same way. Like that's the, that is the diagnosable narcissism spectrum branch, right? When you hit the the end of the branch and they're like, yep, they're on that far end of the branch. Um, now what Twangy found was that, you know, there's always this in some number of populations, some amount of the population. What Twangy found and her research buddy, I can't remember his name. Sorry. One author's got to do. Yeah. Um, what Twangy found, uh, is that amongst my generation, uh, the number of people failing that test was on the whoops, loop up, and there was no sign of slowing down on the slope up. So what it means is every successive generation has simply got more people in it who don't think other people matter, right? Like on a, on a psychosocial human animal level, like you're not as much a human as I am, and they are not capable of processing thereby mercy, really. Um, and that's a fascinating and terrifying thing. Now, I don't think, I think that's probably some of where this language comes from in pop culture, but I don't think the language you're, you're, you're hearing is generally talking about what I'm talking about. Um, and nor 
if it was, it wouldn't use it so much to just be like, well, that's just narcissism. I mean, yeah, of course it is. If, that, if you're going to use it that way, then anything anybody says, vanity of vanity, all is vanity, says the preacher. Are you kidding me? Of course it's narcissism, you jerk. But like, like, does that mean we don't talk? But that's how they're using it, right? So that's why you're, again, you're, you're in the gaslit world of he who speaks loudest and gets the last word is apparently right because we're out of time, right? <laughs> uh, that, that's the world you're living in. And when they know what they're doing with that, then they can end it at the right time and make everything as a longer narrative gaslight slowly change us into something that we're not so i I would honestly i don't listen to whatever you're listening to um and i would stop as soon as as you can get pulled back from um as much of what the the beast is saying right now as possible have a couple selective channels that you trust and then go about life where you are with your work and your family right um and and pull away from you know trying to hear the broader narrative or see some sort of meta answer to the broader narrative that is not going to be a unified answer we are fracturing the millennium is fracturing whatever we were building toward is babylonian and that's good. Thank God for it. Expect it to continue. Don't expect it to be riotous, except in the places where it already is, right? Um, but expect it to continue fracturing, which means where you are locally just matters so much more. It matters so much more than the narrative of, say, what what is Tim Keller saying about New York right now, right? I mean, that matters in the world. Yes. Does it matter to you? It shouldn't really. It shouldn't. Not right now. What should matter to you is what your pastor is saying about your community. Or is he? Right. Um, you should be talking about those things. Um, you should be talking to your neighbors about what your community needs and how they're feeling right now. I mean, I'm chief of sinners on that. It's so hard, isn't it? Knock on that door. In any case, as uh, as a pastor, you're wondering what I thought of all this. I've given you quite a bit here, right? Is it fancy name for sin? Kinda. Is it a catch-all phrase that lets women or men label their oppressive other? Yes. Uh, is it a sign of the end when the love of many goes cold? Yes. I mean, like rising narcissism diagnosable would be the definition of love going cold across a spectrum of society. No doubt. And well played. Um, now, does that mean it's the end of the world? Remember that the end of the world is an echo. The end of the world is a repeat. It is a, it is the Jerusalem collapse it is the falling of cities and nations and big headed, uh, lofty boasting beasts. And it'll just keep going on and on to think that the U S is the final one is a bit presumptuous when it comes down to it. It really just is a bit presumptuous as if it's even the U S I'm, I'm increasingly convinced we're not even the U S collapsing. We are a much longer beast called the, the Britain. <laughs> uh, and Britain is still in aftershock of, of a couple hundred years. Now, that's nuts, I know, but it's the mad Christian, you know, what, Saturday morning chill. So you get that from time to time. I do think the Earth's round. I do. Uh, but I also have started watching the moon. Not so much. I said this about the other day. This is great. This is my favorite part. Now. Oh, it's funny. I hope, I hope you enjoy it. I do. I do. Otherwise, I tickle myself for no reason. Um, ah, it sounds worse. Um, the moon. <laughs> I'm watching the moon. Not to howl at it. But because I want to listen to see who's howling. Now, if you if you feel me on that, you know, then you're you're on the uh, you're on the riddle master agenda, right? You're you're on that task. Yeehaw! So, uh, my thoughts. Uh, thank you in anticipation. In, te- in anticipation, you are welcome, Judith. Um, I think using the word narcissism at this point is not particularly helpful. Unless you're going to tell the story of narcissists as a wisdom parable, anybody who would actually be diagnosably narcissistic, if you told them that, it wouldn't do them any good. 
it would in fact probably give them the ammo to go learn about narcissism and then start using it as a tool to attack others and calling them narcissists. So you're not really helping anybody by, by calling it out that way. It's more just one of those many pieces that should affirm what I was saying earlier about the zombie nature of fallen mankind, which is that they're mad. And they're mad in different ways. And some of them are mad by not even knowing there's other people that are people. That's why they kill babies and stuff. Remember? Remember this great civilization, this make America great again? You want to make America great again? Overturn Roe v. Wade. That's what I'm saying right there. Get her done. Get her done. Okay, so moving on. Moving on. I'm going to take five seconds. Be right back. I want some water. Uh. I took the ice. I didn't want to do it on the microphones. Uh, so caught in the culture rights and says this to Fisk. Could you please discuss Psalm 127? Oh, yes, I can. And having children in one's youth. Um, mostly, yeah, I, I think so. Um, my husband and I are a young couple, 25 both, I'm assuming, uh, wanting to start a family. Uh, by saying you're young at 25, by the way, that's a bit naive. You are, um, you are, huh. you're adults. You're not really young adults. You're adults. You're not really young anymore. Um, young would have been 18, 19. So our, our, uh, blah, 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 blah. you're looking forward to it, right? Your goal is to be the mother, return to working inside the home and homeschool. Cool. I think those things will last. Um, there are people who don't, but the things they tend to believe in and put hope in are the temporal things that they buy at Walmart, which don't last, and they want a lot of them. I think these things you're about to ask about and push on, they're the things that will last no matter what else falls apart. So wisdom in the question, and from now on, like just whoever told you the other answers, suspect. Don't listen. Love them, whoever they are, but I don't trust their wisdom. Goodness, they have none. Um, so we'll, we'll move on here on that then. Our Lutheran and non-Lutheran communities are telling us to concentrate on our careers. I mean, is anybody watching like the world? Really? I, I feel alone sometimes in this. You know, I, I you're what well, we got 90 of us, 100 of us. Goodness. <laughs> Especially me as a woman. Yeah, of course. Of course, the most important thing for you as a woman right now is to make sure you do not, do not make sure the species survives the collapse is about to happen. All right, not that it's a collapse. There's never going to be a collapse. Trust America. Wait a minute. Right. Right. Give a setting for seven or even eight for you do not know what evil will be upon the earth. You tell me. I'm with you because I heard the same message and I still hear it. And I'm just going to say this. All those Christian communities, whatever other label they want to put on them that give this advice, just what you've heard so far, they don't believe the book of Proverbs or the book of Ecclesiastes to be the inspired and inerrant word of God. They also reject the Psalms, particularly the one you're asking about. They have a fancy way of doing it, but whatever. By then, you know, they don't believe it. And at that point, again, their wisdom is suspect. And you're under no compulsion to try to humor them with the nonsense they're spouting from the, the anti-father feminist age that we are, we are so deep into now. We're like, we're like nose deep into this thing. We, we can't even believe it. What the Bible says, the Bible says that when God curses you as a country, he puts a woman in charge. That's what the Bible says. Now you go ahead and call that sexist and scream, or you can believe there's a God and that we're about to have it happen for the first time. And you can just do the math. Do the math. 
Believe or don't believe. I don't care. I can't control that. That's why I call myself the medic. I can't make you think I make sense when I tell you what God says and it makes sense and you just don't want to. So Proverbs is clear. Ecclesiastes is doubly clear. There should be no question from the New Testament alone that the role of man and woman is to become a family before all other things and that if you try to worship money before you worship God, it ain't going to work out. Yeah. Careers. Just, just put mammon in there. Our Lutheran and non-Lutheran communities are telling us we should concentrate on our mammon, especially me as a woman, and that it's irresponsible to have children at this age and irresponsible to have only one adult in the workforce serving our Lord Kronos. I, I don't know what. Serving what? Communism? What, what are you, where are you? You got a, got a crescent? Uh, what is it? Sickle and a hammer? <laughs> it's, it's insane. That's what that is. I, I lived under this again. And I understand that there are those who are caught in the middle on this. who are like, wait a minute. I haven't thought these things through enough. Yes, that's right. It's been silenced as an argument for a while anyway. I remember a story from seminary. Oh, goodness. I remember a story from seminary of a guy coming in. High-end, high-power dude. This guy, uh, uh, he did a, like a master's level substitute teach in one of my classes. And I'm just a young pup, right? And this guy was great. I mean, he was just he was just like, I want to follow this man. I want to listen to this man talk about Jesus forever. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just amazing. So he came from outside the LCMS. He already had a PhD. He was going to the seminary to get an MDiv, which is going backwards, but he had to because our system's like that for some good reasons that maybe aren't as good as they could have been, right? Uh, in any case, so he does it. And what you want to do is like work underneath at the Samon, having abandoned like Harvard, you know, prestige, he wants to work on birth control. And they told him, oh, that's a settled argument. So, the discussion has not happened. And it's not been allowed to happen. And the fact is, whatever else I might say, if you can't get it out of Psalm 127, it's not my issue. It's not the church's issue. It's not Jesus' issue. It's your issue. And it's who you want to worship. It's who you want to worship. So let's let's check that out here. I can pull this up right away. Bam. This way. Psalm 127. This is part of the Sons of Solomon Psalms, by the way. You're supposed to say this every day if you want to pray for the patriarchy as a man. And by pray for the patriarchy, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about right now is fighting back against the white noise, which is trying to undo the image of the Father who is our God. The Father who is our God is an abomination to the abomination who is Satan. And what Satan then wants is to scar the image of God. And what is the image of God, man? What is man? Father. Husband to wife, father to sons. Now, what is a son but a man born of his father begotten? What is that then but the picture of the triune God again? Built into man. And what's the devil's end? To scar that image. To bind it. To, to, to put it away. So what's he wanted to get rid of? It's clear. It's clear. Just look. He spent like a thousand years playing this game. It's breaking in front of us because the, the nature won't let it happen. But his game is to get rid of man, get rid of father, to make us forget such things exist. So in a day in which the, the president-elect of the United States is advocating eight-year-old transdrogeny experimentation publicly, you're going to tell me not believing this hasn't had an effect on man and woman? 
You're going to keep fighting for Jesus out there, pretending that he's going to hear your prayers when you won't repent. It's not about having as many kids as you can have. That's awful. That legalistic movement is awful. It's just about knowing who we are, who God made us to be. And if you won't believe who God made us to be, what do you want to be saved into? Unless the Lord, I always say Jesus Christ, by the way, um, the word is Yahweh, right? We've done this before, but for review, the word is Yahweh. Uh, and that pronunciation is uncertain. Uh, Jehovah would have been another pronunciation attempt. Both of those have scholastic arguments against their certainty. And so when we say Yahweh or Jehovah, uh, we're just kind of making stuff up a little bit, maybe. But we're not sure, right? So, so we say the Lord instead, following the Hebrew intertestamental tradition of not even really saying Jehovah. No one ever said that except Jehovah's Witnesses and some scholars in the 1800s, 1700s. Um, but what they would say was Adonai, which is where the vowels for Jehovah come with, with the consonants for Yahweh. Uh, a long story. Um, but you know, they would say Adonai, which then translates as the Lord. And then, of course, the New Testament clearly has Kyrie, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, often as a reference point to Jesus. But I think rather than just assuming then that the Lord should be used in place of the name Jesus back in the Old Testament, I kind of think when you want to call on the name of Jesus, you should call in the name of Jesus, right? So what I have just started doing, and I recommend it for the whole world, and if I do nothing else in my life but start this little tiny pebble that changes the mountain of Christianity for the next thousand years, say Jesus Christ when you see the word Lord in the Old Testament. Just say it out loud. You should be reading it out loud anyway, right? Say Jesus Christ. And if you're like, well, what? That doesn't make sense. How does this make sense? Well, then look at it again because it does. <laughs> That's who it is. This is what you believe. Uh, so unless Jesus Christ, Psalm 127, unless Jesus Christ builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So what's the house? What's the house Jesus Christ is supposed to build? Now, the argument from the Christians who want to not believe this is about you and is just about the Christian church and thereby get out from having to have children because clearly having children is to be avoided for some reason, for, for the sake of stewardship, which is money again, right? Interesting. Anyway, uh, you know, they will say that the house is the nation state of Israel, Old Testament style, not the new one, the nation state of Israel. And that this is a prayer about how if God does not restore Israel, then there will not be a Israel. Well, they're right, actually. They're very right that this is ultimately about the church. This is ultimately about salvation in Jesus Christ himself. That if it's not the work of God, to restore the fallen creation, then it shall not be done. But you know what? The whole thing is built on a poetic structure that uses the term house. Because a house exists in real time and space as a thing. And you can say it's a symbol in the poem, and you're right, but it's a symbol based on a reality that actually exists, which is that if the house does not get built, then God, or if, the, if God does not build the house, the actual house then it won't get built. Well, what's the house for now again? And this is where you got to go into how is that word used in the Old Testament? Well, the house is very clearly your tribe and your family. Very clearly. A very real thing. And it's funny how the Christians want to have like the fulfillment of the type without the type. Like, what are you talking about? You don't want a house? You don't want a family? What kind of foreigner are you in our midst? Weird. So, so unless Jesus Christ builds the house, though, those who build it labor in vain, the very beginning of this is that you can't build your own house. You can't build your own name. You can have as many kids as you want. God kill them all. He did that to a couple families. He made sure they knew about it too. You can read about it in the Old Testament. Why would he do that? Because they were evil. 
because they had plans to harm people. And so he wipes out wicked men by the hands of godly men and wicked men alike. That's the left-hand kingdom, as the Lutherans would call it, the, the government of the sword, and all this kind of stuff. But the point again is that even that only happens with God's desire. That's what the next verse says, or the rest of the verse says. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So you can see this nice line being drawn from the father of the house to the father of the city or the king. Huh? You, you, this nice line through patriarchy as the real structure of creation, that's how humans are made to exist, is in patriarchy. That thing that BLM's trying to destroy that they hate so much, yeah, th- that thing is actually, again, <laughs> if your agenda is to attack the patriarchy, your agenda is to attack the Father who is God. Like, just straight up, that's it. <laughs> uh, he is the patriarchy, uh, right? So unless the Lord builds the patriarchy, whether it be small or large, that's verse one. Unless Jesus Christ does it, unless Jesus Christ is our king, and we all die, right? There's so much there. It's the whole thing, but it goes all the way down to your very family. You want to get married? Single people, this is your prayer. You, you're young, single Christian. You want to get married? Pray this every day. And, and you'll pray it wrong, I promise you. But that's okay, do it anyway. Do it anyway. You're going to pray it wrong. You'll be like, I'm praying this so that God will give me a spouse. Oh God, please give me a spouse. Oh God, please, please give me, give me, give me. Right? And, and you're going to be, unless the Lord does it. Come on, Lord, do it. Right? That's how you're going to feel it. Right? That's good. You got to go through that. Just do it. Just do it. Don't, don't. I'm not shaming you out of it. I'm just calling it before it comes so you can understand. Okay? So um, you're going to go in there and you're going like, to be like praying for it to be fast, basically. And the whole point of the psalm is to get you to realize that even after you're given it, he still must sustain it. Right? So don't be in a hurry. There's no haste. There's no haste in the Bible. There's, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, as the Marines are wont to say. As Navy SEALs, sorry, as the Navy SEALs are wont to say. You're all awesome. I'm not one of you. Uh, it, it is in vain, though. This is the thing. Even the Navy SEALs, even the Marines, guarding at that what? what when does Jacko get up? 430. That's right. Uh, it's, it's a bit much. I've done it. It's a bit much. Six, uh, sunshine will do for me. Sunshine will do. Yeah. Like the moon, the lights in the sky given by God. That said, it is vain to rise up early and to go late to rest, even the bread of anxious sorrow. Oh, really? It's vain to go and like try to have a career? Is that what it said? Uh, that's the verse. Goodness gracious, that's the verse. I mean, you had the answer, right? You just want me to affirm it for you. Isn't that sad? <laughs> you have to like go looking for that, right? It's right there. It's vain that you rise up every career. And so someone's like, but I have a career and I've worked hard for it and it's not fair. You would say my career's not worth it and it's full of my own vanity. I'm like, what? dude, go in peace. <laughs> you know, because if you can't, if you can't acknowledge it from the start, well, then again, I would say you've probably settled down in the land that you're supposed to be a sojourner on, right? I'm all for digging roots. As long as I realize those roots are going to burn. And again, you know, you're just confessing we don't believe Ecclesiastes. We just don't believe it. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't count. And we don't read from it anyway, right? Nobody does. Why not? It's like the it's not the best. The best is Jesus. But this is Jesus saying like so. Here's how it is. <laughs> For in like terms we can get modern people. Like so listen. Wow. Um, it's so starkly mind-blowing. You got to listen to this king, this preacher who says, well, um, I've seen it all. And here's what I got to say. And the fact that we don't believe it is the reason we don't believe things like that is vain to rise up early, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Otherwise, we'd have a few less crises on our hands. We really would. The world would have all sorts of crises and be like, what's the crises? Everyone's dying. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Here we go. <laughs> like, right? Good muscle memory. It helps. It helps. Uh, 
No, I pray this every day. And I, I love how much it condemns me every day. I say it this way. It is in vain that you rise up early and... It, no, no, I'm sorry. It is in vanity that you rise up early and in vanity that you go re- late to rest, eating the bread of anxious sorrow for... And here's the key though, right? For he gives to his beloved while they sleep. Uh, it says here, you know, I think this is probably ESV, maybe New King James. Uh, he, he gives to his beloved sleep. Okay, yes, that's poetry though, right? It's not about, well, you could see it this way, that the, 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 the Christian doesn't need to get up early and go to bed late. Even if he gets up early and goes to bed late, he doesn't care. He goes to sleep when he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep when he's tired. Because he knows that if, if God doesn't build a house, well, then he labors in vain anyway. And so if he's tired, there's nothing he can do about it at a certain point. Now, there's all sorts of warnings against laziness. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about honesty. <laughs> So the fact people would pull out the stuff about laziness to like make this go away, again, that, well, that would be dishonesty, I think. Uh, what you want to know is that no matter what you plan, and this is, why the, this is how you can know that the advice you've been given is just so terrible. And I have no qualms saying that now. It's just so terrible. They basically told you to put your trust in anxious toil. Before you have a family, you need some more anxious sorrow because clearly wealth is something the Bible encourages us to make sure we have enough of. Never once does it tell us it's deceptive. No. Never once does it tell us we should give a lot of it away and mourn and weep if we have it for fear that we have not realized what jeopardy we're in. No, the Bible never talks like that at all. It just tells you to get as much as you can. Make sure you live this American life because we came here to get out of the dirt. And after one generation of the casino, you better rise up again. Ugh. That's... Th- that's the God we're worshiping. And then, you know, here it is, right? So they're, they're saying to you, go live in the world of vanity. And God's saying, well, you, you could just sleep all day. And if I wanted to, I'd make you king. Now, I may not do that for you. I'm do whatever I want to do for you. But that's the point. Like, you can't make a difference. Get up, do what's in front of you, right? Put, do what your hand finds. And when you have found a lover worth marrying for the faith, I think your hand has found something. Uh, well, I think, as Solomon say it, if it's a woman, more precious than rubies. Well, so if a woman is more precious than rubies and you marry her and you're Solomon, there's only one option, people. Let me see what I did there. <laughs> oh, behold, children. Verse 3, it's sons, I believe, in the Hebrew. And this is important. But, you know, it is also about all people, like I just said a moment ago, but it's sons. Sons first. Sons first. To understand the distinction between man and woman. To be honest about the goodness of diversity that God has given us, which has been stripped away from us by the licentious and again brainwashing, megamillennial, lying culture that's out there, telling us we're not who we are when it's as evident as the day is long. In any case, sons then are said here to be a particular blessing from Jesus Christ because they are the name, they are the hand of the sword. And yeah, sure, a girl can shoot. No problem. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. It's not the point. The point is that a family without sons is weaker for it. And a family with sons is stronger for it. Anybody who wants to deny that's a fool. Just a fool. That's it. You're a fool. I can't tell you anything else. what the Bible says. Sons are a legacy from Jesus. You're like, but no, but no. It's on you now. You know, it's on you. So uh, in any case, the, eating the bread, blah, 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 sons are a heritage, a legacy from Jesus. Now, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And someone's going to be like, well, see, it's, it's children after all. Yes, it is children after all. But you want to make it like not sons and just children. Why? 
I'm going to tell you it's because feminism. You can go chew on that. I chewed on it long enough. Long enough. No more. All they do is give you half lies and half promises. No more. Um, fools. Don't argue with fools. You become like them. Uh, so, sons are heritage from Jesus. The fruit of the womb are reward. So, what, women are beautiful. Women are gifts from God. They are the ones for whom the sons to be born for, that they might join together, have more sons and daughters. This is the whole reality, right? I mean, this isn't bad. This is good. And they're like, well, get married and have copulation, but no fruit. Sow the seed, not unto blossoming, as Monty Python again might, might say. Uh, so what do you do with verse 4 then, right? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons I think, of one's youth. I'm not sure about the second children here. I asked the theories about that on Mad Christian Discord, which you should join, um, but I did not get back to look at it. So, the point is here that when you have the the sons being born into the family, you're going to have daughters too, eventually, right? Uh, the sons will draw daughters. Daughters tend to go away from the family. So for this family itself, for the tribe to grow, it needs sons. It needs new heads who will draw in new brides. Now, is it possible, ladies, draw in someone to your family? Yeah. Yeah. As a father of daughters, we've discussed the possibility many times. Yes, yes. But it's really not kind of the way it's built. And all my girls know, like, ultimately, you marry a man, um, he's going to be like, hey, let's go. And you're going to be like, you know what? God is right about this. Here we go. And you follow. Uh So in this then, the sons become necessary for the village. The sons become necessary for the society. They are not, in the name of the individual, man matters less, although it's an emblem of this, as the existence of the people, and the existence of the tribe. That's why uh, the scepter is the symbol right, of the head of the tribe, the authority that needs to be there, the father, uh, for all to pull together. Again, it's all tying up to the king who is Jesus, ultimately. So, but verse four then, I mean, again, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's of one's youth. Now, is that what, is that what's bugging you? Is that like, if you wait, you'll only get children's of, children's of your age? I don't think that's really the point. Um, I'm pretty sure this verse does not have birth control in mind, right? Like the entire Bible's written with birth control, not as an option because it's not an option. Like back then, it's not an option. There was no option. So if you have an option now, it's new. Just kind of acknowledge that. That's helpful in the discussion. If you can just acknowledge it's new. And so you can't really argue about it from this text directly, right? Uh, There is no, like, you would have had children later if you didn't have them younger. Uh, The point is that if you get married and have children, if you're younger, you'll have more who live. Now, (laughs) don't forget... Not everybody lives, even now. And as much as we've gotten used to thinking we're all going to live till 80 and 90, maybe, maybe that fracturing is worse than we thought in some other ways that aren't as bad and as radically apparent as we thought, but maybe, hmm, well, I don't know. Statistics, right? I know that after 40, they're dying anyway. Those are real people. Those are my friends. Family members, church members, all that kind of stuff. Arrows. In the hand of a warrior are the sons of your youth. For your tribe, for your family, to have any is to have some. And to assume you can do it, uh, I don't think Frisbee feels like, will feel like I'm throwing her under the bus. She had pointed out, she always briefs me all, all the questions, and she had pointed out um, you know, the, the tendency in the sales pitch now 
uh, to freeze your eggs. Uh, <laughs> you got way too much trust in science. Uh, to freeze your eggs, uh, you know, and wait 10, 15 years and then have kind of in vitro fertilization. Now, aside from all of the um, abortifacient problems that come into that play, so Christians really shouldn't even be thinking that, like the idea that this is all just going to happen without struggle, that it's all guaranteed, it just works out. You know, you just push the button, here it comes. <laughs> It's just not how this works. And the, the, the stressors that can be put on the body throughout this. I mean, this is, we go into talking about abortifacient birth control and chemical birth control. One of the major arguments, aside from the abortifacient tendencies of chemical birth control, is going to be that it's, um, it's just really bad for you. Like, if you look at its side effects and what it does to your body over time, it's just really, really bad for you. And they'll even kind of like acknowledge that sort of, but then they'll say, but the effects are better. The effects are better. And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Because you're an authority. I believe you. And then you go on. Well, okay, what do you do with this? The children that you have, every single one is arrows in the hand of a warrior. Now, here's, here's where I, this gets me every morning to the next verse. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Okay, good. So you want a lot of these kids if you can have them. Like, God, give me kids. That should be a prayer. It should be a prayer. And the day God doesn't, can't give you kids is, God, thank you for the kids I have. Or if I don't have any kids, God, show me how to love the kids that you gave other people. But the point is, again, there's no bad babies. <laughs> I mean, they're sinners, everyone, but they're not, not from God. Hmm? Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now it says he here. Now there's some debate, I think. I'm going to go look at this again. But the plural is the way to understand this, I think. It's not about the man not being put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. It's about the children. The biggest thing lost in the entire argument about when you should have kids is how sad it is not to have a brother when you're a boy. How sad it is not to have a sister when you're a girl. No one's talked about that. No one asked us, did they? It gives you the right to stand in for a generation to decide who they get to be by stopping God's divine, creative, sustaining marital action. Guilty as charged. But I don't think I have to tell you that you have to listen to other people telling you to make the same mistakes I did. I hope. That helps. I'll be back in a few minutes. Hey, Internet. My name is Jonathan Fisk, and I am here to rescue you. You've fallen under the influence, but it's time to wake up. He is risen. You are paid for. He won't be long now. You are immortal, and this makes all of us a good thing. I did it backwards, didn't I? You are immortal now, and he won't be long anyway, so why not hang out and watch this Saturday morning chill? I'm the Mad Christian, and I still got it wrong. This is... The Mad Christian Saturday morning show. We're going to go back to some more of your questions from the grab bag here this morning. Although what we've got left is a couple of longer ones. So we're going to go over here and see if we can check these out on this screen uh, and see what that feels like for a bit here today. Matt says this. Uh, he says, Rufisk, I often deal with people who say things like so-and-so is incredibly dogmatic in his position that dot, 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 Lutheran stuff, blah, blah, blah. Or, uh, I really like so-and-so because he isn't trying to force a religious position on me, even though it's actually some form of secular moralism that 
recursively collapses in on itself and taken to its ultimate conclusion or some other such scubula, uh, the, the Greek word for um, poopy-poo. Uh, in con- conversation then, Matt goes on, I managed to be patient with them, but every fiber of my being wants to shake them around and scream. Don't you see the implications right under your nose? Or do you just not want to see them? My answer is yes. That's the key. Um, uh, feel free to insert a big uh, tirade here about the lack of basic reading and listening comprehension and the ability to reason more than half a step below the surface of anything. Well, I don't know if that's all that it is. I don't know if that's all that it is. I think it's a bit too much to say it's all that. I think there's a lot more willfulness going on. Um, you know, your body knows if you don't know. Your body knows what's good for it when it's going to get what it wants. And if you're not conscientiously, mindfully uh, fighting back against it and you're just letting the TV tell you what to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's, it's not just about illiteracy. It's not just about illiteracy. Uh, so, uh, I go on, uh, I go to the sacrament regularly, good, uh, and believe me, I confess this particular sin often. It sounds like pride to me, I hope is what you're working on. Um, although my outward actions wouldn't betray too much of any of this frustration that you feel, well, that's good, um, from these discussions with my atheist friends, this is something I continue to struggle with. How do you manage to be so patient? What are you talking about? Uh, in terms of breaking things down to first principles, expanding upon them so eloquently. Well, I don't get into these kinds of conversations like the one you're in. Straight up. I don't. So you're going to talk about my book here in a moment. Um, and from there, well, I'm, let me give you the answer after this. I'm going to read your part because I think it connects. Uh, before you respond with, read my new book. I've already read it. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Photoshop. Before, what, what are you talking about? Before you respond with, read my new book. Talk them into it. The truth about making Christians. But Jonathan Fisk. Uh, uh, before I, I tell you to do that, you've already read it. And that's the reason you're writing. Well, that's awesome, actually. Um, I know what I have to do, uh-huh. uh, but frankly, I'd rather work an entire day doing heavy physical labor than contend for the faith for even an hour with the modern postmodern intellectuals that I'm surrounded by in daily life. Thank you. Well, yes, you didn't read the book very carefully. Then. <laughs> read it again. So what you want to do with this book, by the way, is not read it. What you want to do with this book is devote some time to it. There's a difference. And when you devote some time to it, you'll open one page or two, because a chapter can be like two pages, right? And you'll read that much, and that's all you're going to read for the day. And then you'll you'll maybe even make a note about it, and then you'll think on it. And what I contend in the book is that if you do that, people are going to start asking you about Jesus eventually. It's going to be by little tits and tricks all the way through, where you just realize as a person that you're more fun to be around if you ask questions rather than preach. No. Um, good questions listening questions, intelligent questions that connect, right? That allow you maybe to preach, but, but, you know, um, the more you can pick up those skills and tidbits and tactics from in there over the course of two, five years, what you're going to find happening is you're just going to be in conversation with people and they're going to be asking you questions about what you believe because they will have, uh, they will have seen the wisdom in your patience. How do I do it? I don't, I don't try to fight without patience. Why would I do that? Instead, I exercise patience and self-control and do not enter the arena until until I have a chance of winning. Now, this is not to say that the Holy Spirit cannot convert somebody in a moment through some random thing. The the Spirit will blow where he will. But I am going to say that the Bible is pretty clear that arguing with a fool is the wrong decision. And if you want to... Biblical definition of a fool, an atheist is kind of right up at the top of that thing. Even if he's really smart and wise in a lot of other ways, on this matter, he is a, a, a complete moron. Um, so, so the scriptures say, 
It's not a personal accusation. And it really has little to do with whether or not he can tie his shoes. It's more about final implications, right? That when we're talking in the, in the world of first principles, the atheist wants to believe there is a first principle without first principles. Or that there are first principles without a first er principle. Um, and, or they'll just say reason, <laughs> as if that answers everything. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, the point about the book, though, coming back to it is, I don't want you going out there as a crusader trying to win people for Jesus. Stop it. And stop trying to win people for Lutheranism. Goodness gracious, stop it. <laughs> Believe it. Yourself. Ponder it. Feast on it. Just let it be your daily bread. Forget trying to give the daily bread you got to everybody else. Just eat it until they start asking for what's at your table. Now, someone out there is going to be like, he said, don't do mission. I'm so done with that. That argument. Go back and like fundraise or something. Um, <laughs> sorry, if you didn't get that. I know somebody did. Yeah, right. So anyway, um, I don't manage to be patient in daily life. I'm not very good at it. I'm really good at performing on stage. I'm an, I'm an actor. Untrained, mind you. Uh, but but, but uh, I can get in front of a camera and I can remember I'm in front of a camera. And that's really helpful for not saying, mm, yeah, hold your tongue. Like It's good like that, right? So, okay, you want to apply this. What you really want to do then is remember that not only is your atheist friend listening, but so is the devil, the demon of some kind, who's probably around your atheist friend, maybe several of them. Whether or not like directly in him or not, I don't know. I don't want to know. I don't care. I just know darkness is what he says he believes in. Okay, so so, but you've also got like an angel, like at least one, and he rocks, and he's behind you, and like with you, and like whatever. So the, the whatever the evil is, like it's not really there with you. But if you go in and play like intellectual battle games of scoffing with the atheist, like the angel's like, dude, what are you doing, dude, dude? You could be praying right now, dude. Why are you arguing with the with the scoffer? What are you doing, man? Right? And, and then if you go pray. That angel's going to be like standing there and the scoffer's going to be like scared. And he's not even going to know why. He's going to walk in the room. You're praying and you're ignoring him. He's like, hey man, what's up? How's your God doing? And you're like, yeah, I'm fine. Whatever, man. I'm going to go over to pray. And he's going to be like, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? It's because there's an angel right there. And his conscience is affected by it. His psyche is bothered by it. But you're too busy thinking you're the one fighting the darkness. Alone. With your intellect. Stop. The intellect is valuable. It's good. It's a gift. Knowledge is a gift. Pursue it. But if you go pursue it in the book of wisdom, it'll tell you right away, shut up. Not because you can't say the right thing. Of course you know the right thing. Because they're not listening. You're throwing pearls before swine. And that doesn't mean hate the person who's the swine. It means don't throw the pearls at them. Figure out how to Lead them away from swinehoodness slowly. Maybe just lead yourself out of it yourself. Like, don't live in it yourself. Don't swallow in the muck with those who have no hope, right? You with me, Matt? Yeah? That's a good question, man. God bless you as you continue to to find your way. Because I cannot begin to claim to be good at talking to my friends and neighbors about Jesus. I know that what's in the book is what I need to ponder for two to five years, one page a day. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) 
So I'm not like just trying to sell you. Although buying the book helps me get forward and move more. And by the way, if you support me on Patreon, yada, 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 right? Don't you hate that? Oh, that's how it works though. That's what I actually have to do to you in order to make this system work. I hate that. But that's the rules. I'm supposed to distract you and suddenly be excited about you giving me money, right? Yeah, well, anyway, I'm on Patreon and it is important. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Um, of course, there, distract. Oh, oh, the buying the book, of course, I want my books to sell because the more my books sell, the more the information, the ideas are getting out there. But the reason the book's for free, and if you sign up for my newsletter on Mad Mondays, there we go again, uh, I at refuse.com slash newsletter, I think, um, you will get it for free as a, as a digital copy. So the idea is not to make money on this. The idea is for me to learn this, and I want to take you along for a ride because I think by paying careful attention to it over time, rather than trying to go out and fight with it right away, the battle's going to come to you and you're going to find it's a battle you didn't pick and it's a battle you can win, therefore. Uh, how, how do I put it that way? You, know, you don't get crucified on any of the crosses you choose. You don't win the battles you try to fight for God that you pick. We've got to redefine winning anyway, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Ellie says this. Mm-mm, I'm a Lutheran Christian in Oregon. Oh, this one's fun. Yeehaw. You guys ready? Buckle in. Um, I, I'm, I'm a member of the LCMS. It was baptized as an infant. God bless you. I guess it's Eli, not Ellie. Um, I grew up in the church and am, by most definitions, a conservative individual. Right. Uh, living in Oregon, one is classified as conservative based on where they stand with our government's governor's edicts. Yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> there's other things afoot, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's a thing for sure. Uh, I started my career in cannabis. This would be marijuana, right? Pot. Um, for medical patients over a decade ago, as time has progressed, see, I don't know when with Oregon, Oregon started. So you were, you weren't right on the cutting edge then in Oregon at all, right? Um, maybe, well, I'm, I'm curious now, but anyway, um, blah, 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 blah. as time has progressed, the status of this plant has been made accessible for recreational use in Oregon. Also recently in Illinois, a uh, number of States, right? They're all trying to get to the money game and the way Illinois is doing it is the way Illinois does everything. It's quite, quite sad how they're doing it. Forget the issue of should you and how, dear heavens, God help us from the wicked men. Uh, preserve us. Um, anyway, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, I, I believe he goes on, Eli goes on, that this plant has a beneficial use within the created order. And I am not convinced that our American argument against one of God's plants is beneficial for its use within the created order. And my response immediately to that is, that's interesting. I've never, ever heard about anyone talking about that in Christian circles with care and attention to science. Hmm. I want to know more. So that's, that's where I'm at on that, right? Okay, so Eli goes on. I don't have any crisis of conscience regarding how the Lord has given provision to my family and me through my employment. But as a conservative individual, I hear a multitude of politically motivated attacks from my own party regarding my work. I currently work in capacity which isolates molecules from the cannabis plant, which have a line of non-psychoactive products made from CBD, CBN, and or CBG. We do carry a THC psychoactive product line in Oregon under all legal permits, restrictions, and requirements. Um, so just to make sure it's, it's clear there, I think, you know, the politically motivated thing there, Republican platforms generally are against cannabis, right? They are against pot uh, across the board from, from Reagan and Nancy, right? Uh, don't do drugs. And so the war on drugs, that's Reagan. Uh, and the, the idea that this is a position that needs to be taken for the sake of the culture wars is one that Christians have continued to maintain. And so the Republican Party often will, uh, will talk about these things. It reminds me a little of um, the time I first called my local congressman, who I really like, 
Um, and, uh, and he found out I was a pastor. And the first thing he wanted to talk about was how they do youth events where they don't cuss. <laughs> and I was like, 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 is that really what the pastors are most concerned about these? Oh goodness. Are they, are they watching? Golly. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so the, definitely the, the conservative political platform of Republicanism has, and usually is locally and nationally against cannabis legalization. And in my, my experience here in Illinois, uh, the legalization of cannabis is a path to just money straight up. It's just the, the government in Illinois wants money period. And they want it by any means they can. They just, we almost passed. Thankfully we didn't. We almost passed a constitutional amendment for like a scaling tax that they can just raise whenever they feel like it without ever telling us. They almost passed that here. That, that's how grubbing they are. And the entire process of bringing cannabis into the state has been done like the mafia would do it rather than like doctors who would do what you are going to advocate is possible, right? That's not what's being done here. So, so I got an issue with that, right? Before I get an issue of anything else. Now, the question again, as I said before, of the use of cannabis and or pot is one that I just have to say. I'm not sure there's a position on it that I've read with any authority anywhere. Um, which makes it very interesting to me. Uh, it, it makes it something that I think we need to not be broad and sweeping and discuss. And I'll confess as a pastor who has medical cannabis using members within the congregation for a variety of reasons, which on various occasions they have disclosed to me and I know their conscience and I know what, why, um, I'm actually not bothered by it. I would like to know more which is why when we say, no, I, well, that doesn't help us. It's going to get used <laughs> as much or more than alcohol. And from what I can see, alcohol's maybe a very different thing. And so if you want to try to have comparisons, um, it just doesn't look like it has the same effect on people scientifically um, and, and whatnot. And then that's to say nothing of when you remove the THC, right? There's the whole entire argument about CBD, CBD and all this. I want to know what the actual data is. And in the white noise, I feel a bit deceived at the moment by, well, everything, frankly. So I'm open to hearing from you, Eli. I really am. Um, I'm open to hearing about what this means because I just don't know how I, as a pastor, can continue to tell people, oh, sure, go on the third or fourth antidepressant in the last two years that you're trying, that's giving you so much trouble. Do that through Pfizer, but don't, you know, what, chew on a brownie. Um, it's super expensive if I understand it. They're taxing like crazy around here. But the same thing is, the point is, right, if this is a medicine that could be made into a pill that people took as an antidepressant and that's what you're advocating for, or that's what people do advocate for is those I talk to here, right? Like, I'm just, I'm just not at the place where I feel I have the science or the Bible to condemn antidepressant medication. <laughs> And, and then if you're going to say that this isn't that, I, I just don't know how we have that conversation, right? Because that's what medical usage is about. It's about, say, PTSD. It's about people who are in pain, um, a chronic pain, people who can't sleep at night. And yeah, it's all anecdotal. You know why? It's because they're doing it backdoor through like non-normal medical means to bypass who? I don't know. Pfizer? Maybe. Cui bono? I don't know. But I know that it makes a cash crop for the states, <laughs> literally. Um, so there's all sorts of evil going on all around this that bothers me a great deal. 
But Eli, what you're doing is you're working in a profession where you're trying to grow medicine. And I, I don't know how I can tell you that's wrong. I don't know how I can tell you that's wrong um, until I have more science. And so that's why I really, um, I advocate. Uh, as soon as we're done hiding from each other and we're willing to take the masks off and talk, uh, we should have some sort of conference on this and many other issues. I got a whole list of them, things that we just never have talked about that are kind of important. I don't know, virology, <laughs> vaccinology, uh, the use of abortifacients in vaccines, these kinds of things, they matter. Uh, so yeah, um, your question goes on though. I give you, give you credit here. Uh, are we Christians programmed by our history so much within the last hundred years to imagine that there is no use for plants and natural substances, which were created for us? I don't think that's all that it is. I think that the fact that uh, THD is a mind altering chemical has something to play with it. And people should, whenever there's any kind of mind altering chemical, people should sit up and wonder about its usage and its impact on the human, whether it's our psyche or our body. Uh, these things really do matter. And those questions matter. What again continues to confuse me is the treatment of uh, cannabis as something distinct from, say, sugar uh, or, or wheat or some of those other things that have a uh, caffeine um, that have mental effects on the head um, without talking about it, studying it, seeing what it actually is. And then you go Joe Rogan style on the history of how it got made illegal. And who knows? Who knows? So. I'm just for conversation, and I think that should be, that's my position, because frankly, we don't have a position that I know of to point to. And so until we do, I'd say we should talk about it more, right? Uh, open to talk is a good idea, you know? Uh, so, uh, but to say that it's just a matter of, of knee-jerk, we're just Christians who um, haven't thought about it, I think the drunkenness is something we should always be concerned about with any chemical that changes your mind. And again, I drink plenty of coffee, too much maybe. I think about it though, I really do. And then I, I make sure I understand that, you know, with, with the measure I give, so is the measure I receive. So if I'm going to drink my eight cups of coffee a day, I mean, it's not quite that much, six cups of coffee a day, I should just be a little slower to speak on these matters. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it, right? And, and say, well, maybe the big spin they put on us uh, is a big spin. And people where they are going to make their own decisions on some of these things. Um, so, yeah, is alcohol right for you as a medicine tonight? Well, I mean, that's the Christian freedom we talk about as Lutherans, I think. And so that's sort of where we got to go with this, I think, in conversation. So this question also comes to the heels of Oregon's decision to introduce psilocybin therapy, as well as other things, I believe, right? So it's not like Oregon's the miracle land of drugs. I mean, it kind of is terrifying that, you know, cannabis is one thing uh, and, you know, crack, heroin, they're kind of different. <laughs> we should study them too. We should know what they do. Um, you think, uh, anyway, uh, psilocybin, this is the mushrooms, right? The shrooms or LSD would be the fake version of this, uh, popular in college campuses. Send your kids to college. It's safe. Um, in any case, it's now been legalized. Uh, where, where to go? This is good though. Uh, uh for therapy uh, as a Christian, and then, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about the psilocybin before the end of your comment. I need some more water. Um, so it shouldn't be any secret. I'm a Tim Ferriss fan. I've been a Tim Ferriss fan for years. And he's been very forthright about his um, use of and then pursuit of information through research at, say, Johns Hopkins. He always drops Johns Hopkins because they are a big deal. Um, whether they're honest or not, I don't know. But research on uh, using mushroom therapy, psilocybin mushroom, what you call shrooms or LSD, but LSD is the fake version. You do it in controlled doses with counseling and that it can be very, very useful for undoing childhood traumas, uh, fear, of, fear of death, basically traumatic fear of death, um, PTSD, all that kind of stuff. And 
like if that's true, um, like that's that seems wise to me uh, that you would make use of a medicine that could help somebody. Now, the challenge with a lot of this is we're, also, we're trying to look at all this as if it's like an atheistic world and these are just material elements. And that's where like, so Tim Ferriss starts talking about where do you go to get this done right now? You got to go to a shaman in South America. Oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. You know, no, it doesn't. Um, because why? Because spirituality is not neutral. It's not neutral. And so in all of these questions, when you're talking about any substance that changes the way your brain thinks, including caffeine, it changes the way you believe the world exists. Try living without it for a day. See how you feel. Um, try that with sugar. See how I feel. And see how you feel after two months. I feel much better. <laughs> but whatever you're putting in, just remember, it's going to have spiritual impact on you. That goes for alcohol. You know, that goes for that goes for your vegetables, frankly. Not because it's like a direct thing, but because your gut is part of your emotions. Your emotions are tied to your hormones. Your hormones are tied to your entire system. And so if you ate too much the last two days, well, you know how much energy you have, don't you now? So it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It is a matter of willpower or a matter of understanding. And that's kind of the entire question then, right? Uh, what are we doing to ourselves with the things we put into ourselves here in America is maybe the broader question. And I think this is one part of that, Eli, and I want to encourage you not to feel like too put upon. Um, and I, I frankly, uh, God bless you for standing up and saying something because the stigma, I think, probably has you afraid to some extent, right? Like you don't talk about this because people will just assume you're not a Christian at a certain point. And imagine that, you know, imagine that. Um, how, I don't know. It's not like you want to do a pot outreach. I don't really think that's that's the idea here. Um, but I, I do think that um, as much as you should not be willing to turn someone away from the church because they they go to the bar two or three times in a week, um, and do would, how would you even know if you don't practice close communion, uh, right? Uh, so if you're not going to turn someone away from the church for that, how are you going to tell them that you know the medicine for their PTSD that keeps them from yelling at people um, is wrong? you go for it, right? You go for it. I can't say that yet. Um, and if you're going to say health, I'm going to say sugar. <laughs> I was going to say, you got to be kidding me, right? So it is just it. All these substances are hitting us in different ways and we got to be honest and recognize none of them are good without, like as in non-fallen, all of them are part of the are part of the creation. And the more man tinkers with them, I mean, you wonder where I'm most nervous about pot is where they, they've done the breeding of it so that they're creating like these super strains of it. And that's what everyone smokes, right? So uh, you know, that, what does that mean? Is that natural? Why are we trying to douse ourselves with medications, everybody in this society? Why do we need to be doused so much? People live for you know thousands of years without this and built bigger societies that lasted longer. So, you know, I don't know, man. Um, and But th- that's just it too. Like what uh, Frisbee Frisbee again has she's got, got great wisdom on this stuff for the for the uh, the lead up. She said, "Pick your poison." I just, oh, I'll just I'll just sip coffee on that one. It's all going to get you. The question is, are you in the Bible today? That's the real question. Yeah. Uh, as a Christian of Woodlands, I welcome this. But the further I go into the city, a lot of people are treating it like the apocalypse. That is the the legalization of psilocybin. Well, I mean, it, I think if people are walking around taking psilocybin on the street, that's really not going to be good for anybody. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what, what Ferris has advocated. Um, and not what I, I, would, I would understand it instead being something where, in theory, you would go to a licensed counselor who was trained. To, oh, wait, can we trust anybody in that anymore? Not as much as we used to, right? So it's, it's all confusing, right? Where you are, you got to do what you can do. And what I would do is advocate more on the basis of your particular um, crop right? Uh, and to recognize that all these substances are different. We shouldn't treat them as if they're all the same. 
That's really, really foolish to do that. Would you treat like say Tylenol and like some other like heavy duty painkiller prescription in your cupboard and maybe some Benadryl the same, right? You, you don't want to do that. Um, you want to understand what any substance you put in your body is. And I'm, I'm going to say this applies to nutrition is why you should be eating protein, good protein, animal protein, not the kind of you won't eat animals ever like the Great Reset wants you to do, but actual, you know, ruminant, bona fide, multi-stomach, God blessed after the flood food. Yeah. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to populate your plate with after that's great. But if you're not eating fat and protein from a, a ruminant, you're not getting health and your mind's not going to work as good. And that's just, that's just a fact. You cannot like it all you want. Like that shows your mind's not working very good. You're not liking the fact and thinking that's going to make a difference. Right? <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right? So, so on this one, Eli, I mean, we need so much more discussion on this and all of these issues that I'm going to say, call me a quack. I kind of am. Uh, 1940s, post-World War II agendas set within the federal system had a lot of interesting science that's just not been questioned or maybe it has been. And the answers are continually not being looked at because of big, big companies. I, again, whatever, I don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to tell you Jesus is risen from the dead. You're paid for, you're mortal. I mean, that's what really matters. I just don't, I don't assume the mythologies they tell me out there are the real thing anymore. Um, and then when it comes to a thing like this, where all I've got is mythologies and, you know, personal experience from like bad decisions when I was too young, which by the way, let me just trumpet this. Any young viewer who's watching 25 and younger, your brain is not developed yet. And it is shown you can cause like uh, spiking bipolar or, um, uh, I'm losing the other one now. Um, uh, paranoid delusional realities, uh, you can spike that in your head permanently by going into THC. And that is shown, which is why having it at a 21-year-old buy level in Illinois is bad. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's shown that doesn't happen to older people. And so for someone who's struggling to sleep at night in their, their late, late age, and they can take a little cookie and fall asleep, I just, I have a lot of trouble telling Eli he can't farm, right? <laughs> a lot of trouble telling Eli he can't farm. So it's, it's all going to be taken in its context. And that's why Christians got to be wise. We don't got bullet points for life. We got the books that God has given us to teach us wisdom. And you, have I said it? You should be reading yours. All right. I want to get to those super chats. Um, and we got one more long one there from Luke and Luke's been waiting, I think. Uh, so I'm going to do Luke before I do the super chats. We'll come back to you. Um, and if you got any comments on that question, uh, we got plenty of time here. On that last question, I'm happy to engage you so to make sure there's no misunderstanding from what I've said today. I don't want to give a false assumption to anybody out there. Fist said this about pot. You know, it's like easy, easy. Fist said, let's talk about it. Fist said, like, if there's Christians using it as medicine, we should ask them why <laughs> before we tell them they're not Christians, right? That, that's what Fisk is saying. So um, Luke says this, uh, Pastor Fisk, I need water again. Oh, we can do it. We can do it this way. Here we go. That's wrong. This way. There we go. Pastor Fisk, I put off asking this question for all, for ages, because I'm not sure I'll like the answer. I'm only recently Lutheran and was independent fundamental Baptist for most of my adult life. As such, when our daughter was born, she was not baptized because she wanted, uh, we wanted her to make a decision. My wife is not Lutheran, although slowly becoming more open to it when I discuss it with her as she becomes more and more disillusioned with evangelicalism. Good. I mean, it's a pretty normal path. That's good. Um, 
However, when discussing about baptizing our daughter, she has been against it, still holding to the Baptist view. Uh, ironic. Um, no, it's not ironic. It's pretty normal. It's, it's like a sticking point, usually. Uh, that or the Lord's Supper. It'll be one of them, but not both. And that's what's ironic. It's usually, I was like, why isn't it both? Why aren't you up on both of those? They're like, well, the one I'm fine with, the other one I don't get. Okay. <laughs> So, so I, so you did it. Luke goes on though. And this is important. So you baptized your kid, right? Without your wife knowing. Um, when our daughter was asleep, I got water, went in and did a secret baptism in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Was I wrong to do this? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Um, uh, was this baptism valid? This is the the problem. I, I, I think so. I'm pretty sure. You're the only witness, which is awful. It's really bad. So we just have your word for it that you did it. Can you see where I'm going? So it, it like, it's your way out and your way in at the same time, but it's really bad actually. Like, is it? I don't know, but you have no choice, but ever baptized again. And that's showed, show you why it was just, it was just hasty, hasty. Um, and if you don't know what that's from, that's, uh, that's from Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, so I don't mean to be mean, but I want to think this through with you here. Right. And I want to show you where, where the real stumbling stone is. So, um, can I tell my daughter? And tell her to have confidence in God's promise. Um, yes, actually, I would say you can do that too. Although it's going to out then, right? Like you're going to hide this in the family. How's that going to be good for you guys? Like, <laughs> it's really not a good decision. Um, or should she be baptized by a pastor? Well, again, I think I think to publicly witness the event, you must affirm the reality for others. There's a reason why uh, normally. Unless the person's like about to die, you don't do this, right? E- even a father of a child, unless there's a real worry, <coughs> you-, you wouldn't do this. Uh-huh. Um, and that's a good instinct. That's a good instinct uh, to not do it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, blah, 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 blah. Can I, blah, 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 blah. there are no confessional Lutherans in my country, as far as I'm aware, but there are Anglicans. Okay. Now, so again, the bigger issue is not that you did it in your family. The bigger issue is that you did it without your family. You hear what I'm saying? Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go on. My daughter does believe the gospel and my wife and I agree on most things like law and gospel, for example, but it is difficult to have a wife who teaches contrary to sound doctrine on the sacraments. Well, let's step it back and have a wife who teaches contrary to her husband. It's difficult to have a wife who teaches contrary to her husband. That is difficult. There's at least four proverbs on that. They're usually about the corner of a roof. Um, again, you don't have to like it, whatever, you know, I'm done caring about you not liking Jesus. So (laughs) it's on you. I know what it was, uh, like, um, uh, oh, sorry, I lost. I lost the line. I know what it was like for me leaving mine the Baptist doctrine and coming to see that what I've been taught was wrong. So I try to be easy on her, but she seems to think that I am trying to undermine her faith in Jesus and have her put her faith in a symbol. Um, yeah, which is why, if I believe that too, she, I would also take that stand and, and why patience with her is important. So, all right. The fact, the thing is that you did it and you need to tell them you did it. And then tell them that, you know, you're not even sure <laughs> if it really worked. Because you can't be. You can't be. Um, I mean, you can be and you can't be at the same time. But the point of baptism is that you never want to doubt it at all. And you just made it doubtable. At the very least, did she assent to it? I mean, e- even the infant is awake when we baptize the infant. And we have the parents assenting as a sponsor, as a witness, right? So, or, or our sponsors doing it as a witness so that, again, there's knowledge for the baptized that they're baptized beyond the baptizer. And that's been removed from your equation. And somehow I would advocate you need to get that back in the equation 
right? Um, and then to do that, I would say you just want to either either repent before God, keep this for yourself, just just hold it to yourself and pray for God to just handle it however he will. Um, or tell him what you did and say you're sorry and um, and don't do it again. I don't know. That, sounds, that might be really bad. That might be really bad advice. I don't know. How forgiving is your wife? She's not going to feel happy about this. It's going to feel real betrayal. Um, and that's where I want to go uh, in a different direction here. Because here's the thing. Look, baptism saves. The Bible says that. We all know this. Baptism saves because Jesus saves and Jesus is baptism. I got multiple videos about that. Go look at them. That doesn't mean you can like use Jesus like a saving sledgehammer and force people into salvation through baptizing them, even babies. The promise is for the baby, absolutely. And we believe the baby believes. We even maybe believe the baby believes before the baptism. We're not really sure, but we trust for sure after the baptism, the baby believes no matter what, for sure. Because the baby isn't really able to resist what God is giving the baby. An older person, they're in a bit of a different state than that. But to try to grab that gift and force it onto anybody as if God is not the author of it. Because why are you doing it? Are you afraid she's going to die? Right? Are you afraid she's going to die without baptism? Afraid she's going to fall away without baptism? Who do you think you are? Who's the author of baptism? Does he have an order for it? Yes. Why do you think you're going to put one over on him? He's like, oops, I didn't even know. Good good thing you're baptized. I would have missed that one. He's got this. And baptism is indeed how he's got this. And he wants to give it to you. But do not make it a law. My counsel to your brother is that you came out of evangelicalism, kinda. But you got a lot of legalism following. And it's going to trail you for a decade plus. Watch it. Like a hawk. You will turn the gospel into law every chance you get if you're not careful. What should you do? Invest in the Proverbs as your new way of thinking about life. <laughs> right? And then continue praying those Psalms as gospel. But they're all for you. They're Jesus' words, you can't be pulled out of those things. And get yourself a good diet of some New Testament reading, of course. A little Paul, don't hurt. Yeah. But like you gotta you gotta just know it, man. Jesus is risen, you are paid for. So there's no rush. Even when you think there is. In fact, the moment you think there is, you're panicking. So, those was, that was a hard answer, man. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about your wife's struggle with faith in a symbol. The irony of that is that you're always putting faith in a symbol if you understand the word symbol to mean what the word symbol means, which is that like Jesus ain't right in front of you. <laughs> right. So you're like, I, I just believe in Jesus. Right. I just believe in Jesus. Okay. Where is he? He's in heaven. Okay. How are you believing him? I believe in Jesus. So you're saying Jesus, right? The sounds Jesus are a symbol of the man who's in heaven. All our talk about the man who's in heaven are symbols. We are spouting about the man who is in heaven, which engender faith in all of us. That's how the Word of God works, how language works. It's all symbols. That we distinguish between, like, that and, like, the reality which arises out of the primordial chaos of quantum physics and say that this whole world then doesn't have the capacity 
to be what God makes just simple words be. I think it's a bit arrogant, right? And 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 it, what it is is you're you're missing. You're you're narrowed in on the trees and studying the trees and not seeing the forest. But then you're not going to get at her directly. Like, hey, honey, you don't see the trees or you don't see the forest or the trees. Like that's not going to work. What you got to do is show her the forest somehow. And the forest will not be by talking about baptism or the Lord's Supper. The forest will be some other great and marvelous element of God's um, active fulfillment of promises in time for you. So just as much as your baptism is something that you can rely on uh, as a in-time confidence boost, like, oh yeah, I'm baptized. God's got me, right? Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. He's risen. It works the same way. So give her that spirituality first. Live like that with what you share first. You might not even need patience. You might just enjoy it and enjoy the conversation. Enjoy worshiping the same God because in theory you do because it's the triune one and you both believe the Bible, right? So stop focusing on the verses that divide you. Let them sit there. Don't ignore them. Don't pretend it's not there, but she knows it's there. You're the head and the teacher. Lead toward unity. Read the whole Gospel of John together. Don't talk about baptism or the supper. Just talk about what it means to be in Jesus. See what it does to you. See what it does to you. God bless you, Luke. Your heart is in the right place. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do not live in fear. 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 Be right back. All right, so I think what we're going to be doing, if I can get there, is this. I need one of these to show up right there. That'll do it. And we, we're going to be looking at page 24 of Talk Them Into It. My book here. And uh, just going to dig into, again, the whole idea is through through careful reflection, repeated truth, letting something consistently be a story you hear, gradually reworking your mind from the person who's afraid of talking to people into the person who loves talking to people because you know how to do it. You've assumed it's just something people are good at or not. No, there are people who are just randomly loud and they can draw a crowd by being randomly loud. That doesn't mean they're good at talking. <laughs> and and so for you to be someone who people like talking to means learning the skill of conversation. So the book is about dwelling on that while also dwelling on the fact that Jesus has risen and that that's an unavoidable reality. And that this is good for you. If you've heard it, it's good for you. You don't want to believe it? Well, then, then it's not good for you. But that's that's your your call again. Is that a, is that a theme? It is a theme. It is because it's real. In any case, so uh, in the chapter, diplomatics is who you are, what you say, and how you look. Uh, here's what it says. It says uh, to allow ourselves as Christians to believe that we are free to wander blithely about living generally selfish and fractured lives as if our words and deeds do not matter to the faith and salvation of both us and our children is the great catastrophe of the American Christian century. That was the 1900s. The idea that we could dance with the devil, let him pep us up with industry and croon us to sleep with vinyl and it would not affect us was and remains lunacy. Come out from her, my people, does not mean follow crazy loners into the wilderness, but it does mean There should be a clear distinction in your ways and mannerisms in life from the current version of the apostate culture around you. You cannot win a war against denim or pot. That just happened to be there today, by the way. You cannot win a war against denim or pot because God did not institute that war. 
Hmm. Uh, that's why to- uh, prohibition didn't work. Uh, but you have, uh, but you had, and I mean this word, but I'm not going to say it. It's on the screen. Darned well, uh, YouTube. Uh, you had well better win your war against failing to say the creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments out loud in the morning. And all that such a life of faithful speaking implies, by promises pure and holy, you shall awaken. Mind freed from mental slavery, living a bodily life which believes it more and more, no matter how large the raging infernos grow. Hmm. See, that's another thing when you're talking about any life coaching, decision-making. You know, if your parents are telling you, your pastors are telling you, uh, various people are telling you, do this, don't do that. Um, oh, hold on. Right one. There we go. Um, if they're not making an effort to say the creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments out loud every day, are you? If we're not, why do we think he's going to answer our prayers? I'm not, I just preached against legalism a moment ago. <laughs> I'm not saying we can strong arm him. I am saying the warnings say, don't do what we're doing. That's what I'm going to say. And it's, it's scary, right? It's scary. I see Wolf Miller's in the house. What's up, Brian? Uh, Luke RS says this from a super chat. Hi, pastor. Please, if you have time, could you answer my question about baptism? <laughs> You poor guy, even threw in, in the super chat. Luke, I did not mean to miss you last night, last week. That was an accident. Um, so forgive me for that. And thanks for the super chat. Um, and again, I thank you for the super chat after, or maybe it was before all of the, uh, the answer. Hmm. God bless you, my friend, my brother. Huh. Um, Jedi Knight Anakin Cringewalker chimes in. Is it necessary that Jesus saying he'd be back soon meant his final return to rule at the end of time? What if soon is when we die and he'll also be back to rule at a later date? Um, and I think it's a good question. I think it's a homiletical move. That is, yes, it's true. But I don't think, he, like, if you look at the context, he's talking about soon. That is, in every era, you should believe at any moment. That's the idea. Right. And then that applies to your death, because if you die, you kind of jump to judgment. At least we know that much. Right. So that is true. But the real um, watch I am coming soon. Uh, it is as uh, as Peter. Right. Um, he does not count time as or slowness as others count it uh, as James. Uh, uh, it's one of those. Right. But, you know, that you know, the, the one thousand years is second Peter um, day is like a thousand years. The one that's always used by the by the. The pragmatic atheist to, to spout uh, evolutionary uh, stuff, right? Like, oh, so it's clearly symbolic. Um, I don't believe in symbols. Wait, 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 what? Wait, I, I'm confused now. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think I think I answered that for you, Jedi Knight. Thank you for the question. Let's see here. Was there anything? There's one. Uh, Arsant Angel Fire says, talking about prayer. I have a student that always asks me to pray for her tumbling or cheerleading. How do you pray for something selfish like this? Well, I don't know if it's entirely selfish. People are people are tactile. People move. Sports can be good. What is interesting is how much value people have placed on their experiences and the success of their competitive experiences in the uh, the gladiatorial arenas of the day. 
Um, there's a lot of energy, money, time expended on this and even lifestyle generation for many children. I, I would contend it's a big part of the casino. It's a big appeal of the casino, right? Um, and uh, so, but that doesn't mean that there's nothing of value in learning how to tumble or to cheer for people. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to be sardonic. Um, honestly, both of those things have, have real places in reality. Uh, so, uh, you know, how do you pray for her? I would pray for the, the person's insight always, right? The first thing I do whenever I pray for anybody is I say, Lord, whatever your will actually is for this person, fulfill it in Jesus name. And if it be for them to have great wisdom and insight, bring it from my lips or another time. Yeah. Uh, that's where you start. And then, you know, you don't have to tell them you're not going to pray that she wins, Right. Uh, but you could pray that she stays healthy, that she doesn't fall. That I mean, there's a lot of a lot of sports cause damage over a lifetime. People don't even realize the damage they do to their arms and legs and whatnot until later. There's a number of songs that come to mind. Um, it's all right to dream. Don't worry. We told you what to dream. That's one of them. But um, the, they sell you this and they give you that. That's, that's the one. Gets me every time. They sell you this and they give you that. It's so true. Why don't we believe it? Why have we Christians of all people been foolish enough to stop thinking that the schemes and wiles of wicked men uh, are not going to get us here in America? Um, Ecclesiastes 7, I think it's near the end of the chapter. What an amazing chapter. Um, Was pondering, you know, God has made man upright, but man has sought out many arts. I was looking at that one in, in the Hebrew. And one of the options for the word there is devices. I love it for our times. You know, hey guys, how many devices you got? Uh, man has made you upright, but we have sought out many devices. That's that, that's memeable, right? Right there. Oh, get some guy on his phone seeking out many devices. It's not that you can't use the tech. Don't get me wrong, but golly, guys, we got to start waking up and realize what it's doing in our bodies, what's doing in our minds, what's doing in our culture, and fight back. Use it well. Uh, my, my wife and I have been kind of wrestling with this. Like, we're pretty sure we're on the no more modernism, we're, no more modernism uh, life experiment. Like, like whatever's left, mom, pa, here we are on the on the homestead, and we're not going to trust the modern world and and its economy to last forever. Um, and so we're going to teach our progeny basic life skills. So in the event that they need to survive and barter, then they would be leaders among those people. I, was, I think that's kind of a good idea. Pretty sure they're going to do well whatever they put their hand to in that regard. Um, but like then, you know, thinking about the Quakers got off, excuse me, I always say that, the Amish got off the modernism train a while ago. And I don't really have any inclination to become Amish. Um, but there's some things we can learn from uh, what you might call societal reclusion or uh, how you as a group decide to unify. I'm even convinced we can do this without living near each other because the internet is that powerful. But it is about uh, having a canon, right? You have to have a canon of what you believe is acceptable, what you believe is good. And if there's a lie to the modern society, it is the novelty is good. That you need to see the new thing. Don't rewatch the movie. See the new one, the novelty. And so... Whatever we can learn from the Amish, and I'm going to keep studying them, I know this. I know that if it's new, the answer is no until we've thought about it. (laughs) That's the answer, no matter what it is. And I think there's some wisdom in that uh, that that my family and I hope to apply to our lives here in the present. So um, I don't know. Was that what you wanted this morning? What are we at? We're at 1056. I'd love to do more. I'm scanning the size. I see Wolf Miller is in here uh, and chatting. You want want to come in through a Skype Wolf Miller for the last few minutes here or not? up to you. 
Um, I got to open Skype. I'll do that. You can call me on Skype if you want, Brian. Uh, I'll open it up and you should pop right in, I think. Uh, he says, uh, how about this for a theory? The Lord was building up our love for sports, which we preach against as idolatry as a bulwark against transgender ideology. Ideology? Uh, uh, I like that. I like that. Um, so the idea here would be that, you know, as sports continue to be ruined by transdrogeny, that's my word now, um, by transdrogeny, uh, that people who love sports will start new sports, basically, right? Where they can really compete and enjoy it. And maybe, I don't know. I think our love for sports hasn't, it has been so, it's disturbed me, let me put it this way, that sports have continued to go on as 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 loved as they have, and they've really dropped this last year. I'm talking about pro sports. Um, in the midst of everything else that's going on, uh, the writing on the wall for that one just, just bothers me a lot, actually. Um, now, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's going too far, but um, I don't see anything about the professional sports environment right now as being something that I'm going to say, uh, you know, this has ultimately been good for us. Um, I think it, what was good about professional sports and the sporting environment is it gave us a place for aggression so that men wouldn't fight. That's what it's good for. Right. And in that regard, it's awesome and we should keep it forever. The Coliseum is better without blood. Right. Um, but we're kind of lose the Coliseum, right, in this way. And it's because we've worshiped it. We've made it. Our Christians have been making it their God for a while. And so, uh, you know, we want to live a, a, a life without suffering by rising to the top of casino one generation. Right. We want new wealth, not old wealth. Uh, uh, that was not what I wanted to put out there. Cafe Sola. Um, that is indeed what I said, but I went to grab this uh, uh, this super chat here uh, from uh, Jedi Knight again. He says, uh, the meme I've heard youths say is reject modernity, return to monkey. Uh, I'm glad the next generation sees the flaws in the matrix. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know what return to monkey is, though. Is that like to being a monk um, or is it to being a like an, an ape? Um, but I think you're right. I think that people who are born and raised in the matrix, there are more of them who can see and smell its flaws or at least the ones they want to. At the same time, I think as a whole, the society continues to be moved rather directly and without our control. And uh, it's just going to continue. So we got Brian uh, jumping in here. Let's see if we can grab him. Um, there we go. Hey, Wolf Miller, what's going on? How are you today? Hey, what's going on? Well, I don't know. You've been watching and listening. Um, we did all sorts of stuff from how man and woman are different and make babies, which is stunning and, and radical news in our day and age, um, uh, to uh, cannabis raising Oregonian Lutherans, which we had to, we had to have that question in Colorado when they legalized marijuana. Yeah, Am right. I coming through? Right. Yeah, you, I, I hear and, you. Um, we were talking about the big question about it is sobriety. And with mm. all pharmacia so you know we i mean we have some somewhat artificial distinctions between legalized drugs and not legalized drugs and and so kind of with that in mind still so the christian mind is always uh is always no that that sobriety is connected to our spiritual warfare correct and that the loss of sobriety opens us up to to demonic influence. I mean, I think we should right. just say that really clearly. And mm-hmm. then that sort of sets the whole question right, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's about pursuing sobriety, ultimately. And then the question is, is your antidepressant, this would be immediately the question, does your antidepressant right. help that? And the answer can right. be yes, and the answer can be no. And that's where good science is helpful. Um, case by case conversations are valuable. The seal sorger's right. job is to care for the conscience more than the body. 
Um, and yeah. that, that comes into play quite heavily on a number you, of issues. You always, you always get these questions, you know, it's like the high school kids that say, Hey, I'm dating. How far can I go with my girlfriend? And the answer is if you're answering, if you're asking that question, you're, you're you've gone too far, you know? I mean, so it's, we're always trying to find out like, where are the edges? How far can we go and still be holy or still be sanctified or still not break the law? And I think that so a lot of the like a lot of the pot questions go that way. Like how much how much how much drugs can I use and still be a, a Christian? Whereas probably we should be asking, why am I headed that direction? Yeah, what are you using it what, for? What, I mean, you, I, I, here's where I think the hardest part is. And it has to do with how we treat people who are dying hmm. and how we apply how we apply drugs the takeaway not only sobriety but takeaway consciousness you're you just you you become unconscious mm. in order to avoid pain mm-hmm. and if that's not a like the clearest picture of epicurean Id- idolatry then i don't know what is now this, we got to be very very careful pastorally because i mean how many times have we been there on the death and it's just almost an unquestioned thing now is right. whatever it takes to get rid of the pain get rid of the pain what bothers me about that though brian before we even go there is that how these deathbeds have been prolonged and extended anyway well, sure. and so some of the pain that they're they're dealing with is pain that their body wouldn't be dealing with if they just died the first second or fifth time yes and i'm not saying right. i mean we're talking about being careful right i don't want to i don't want to die i don't want my grandpa to die right or any of that kind of stuff um but it it comes into play in the, in the same question and yeah, yeah. so you know if someone's in pain and screaming and writhing generally we try to get them out of pain um if someone is uh, truly epicurean in the spirit and trying to escape all pain at all costs um, yeah, that's drunkenness. That's like the definition of drunkenness, I think. Um, if I had to, if I had to kind of try to put that all together, but I liked what you were saying earlier. Um, but I wanted to reframe it with with alcohol. So if you ask the question, "How many drinks is too many drinks?" you're asking the wrong question. Yeah, right. Right. Like you don't understand alcohol, and that's where. So if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about um, pot, I think you have to have some science. <laughs> uh, you have to have people who have studied what it is, or the, those who use it. You have to trust what they say if you're not going to. Um, and, uh, everything from that end, uh, leads me to believe that calling it drunkenness out of hand, uh, is, is incorrect in the same way that calling someone who's had a beer drunk out of hand is incorrect. However, it certainly can be used in a drunken manner as can anything really. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's the debate I think needs to have, be, have, have happen. Right. Um, and, uh, wouldn't it be nice to live in an age where we could trust the pharmaceutical industry to have that discussion for us? Um, but it just doesn't seem to be the case, um, in that regard, I don't know. Um, the demons want us drunk. If we just know sure. that, if we know the demons want us drunk, then we know what we know where the right fight is. They want know? us unclear, right? Um, and so I was I was in um, that was First Thessalonians or it's the last two weeks I came across it. I think it was, it was the First Thessalonians text. Uh, Children of the day, sons of the day, sons of the light. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, not to live in methos right? Methamphetamines, right? Uh, and that's the drunkenness word. Uh, and uh, when I was looking, I think it was Brown Drivers Briggs, it was like, the idea is to be, um, to have your brain toxified, right? Hmm. So, so that uh, you cannot see straight. It is an intoxicated reality. But then the sobriety, what I loved about the sobriety word is it's not just not drunk. You'll like this, dude. It's not just like not drunk. It's clear thinking, which is better than mm-hmm. being just kind of muddled and normal. <laughs> right. right. That's right. Uh, so, so Paul says, you know, avoid the lack of clarity and pursue the greater clarity. 
And that's, right. again, what this conversation and the whole issue is going to be about uh, on a whole host of things, Brian. You and I have known, what are some of the other issues that societally we just haven't been dealing with? I mean, if you want to talk, I don't know. Um, uh, I mean, I know diabetes is one in my background I'm willing to talk about, but there's others too. Um, pedagogy with computers uh, and you know TV and how well it affects you. Um, the science of that kind of stuff is the stuff that I think our churches as a whole have kind of parroted the pop understanding as stuff comes out rather than say, um, what does it do to our, our learning if we introduce a screen to this room right now? Um, yeah. How does that change us? Yeah. I think the part of the problem is, and I don't know, because, I, I, you know, I'm always afraid to say that things are different now than they ever were. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just don't I like that. Yeah, yeah. Argument, but it does seem to I'm going to concede a little bit that it does seem that the that technology since we began to worship it whenever that was I mean maybe we've been worshiping it all along but especially we just gave up the fight against the idol the of technology when 1911 World's Fair kind of stuff the Christians gave up the fight sometime in the last 30 years dude it, I mean it, well, yeah keep going well, so go back to industrialization and when we gave up the fight there and we started to define I mean, so evolution helped. We started to define history in terms of advancing technology. Mm-hmm. And since we, it's, it's, that has gained so much momentum now. That technology is moving so fast that it is difficult to keep up. I mean, you, you know, so, so we have, you know, the social dilemma. We were talking about that on election night for some. This, that we're, what, what is that? Like, it's like 12 years later we're starting to do it. Or, you know, Neil Postman, who was writing his stuff in the 80s, which is like, 30 years later after TV and I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure we've got our heads around what radio did. Yeah, no, no, I agree with uh, you. We, we, and we don't so, know where we're going right now. Yeah. Yeah. But there, so there's, but there's two things. I mean, there's two things here. I mean, one is that, okay, we've been bad at keeping up with, with what all this stuff means. That's true enough. Uh, and it's getting harder and harder to keep up with what this stuff means. And we, but we are able to recognize what technology th- th- this is the technological imperative from Jacques Ellul, right that we always that technology is assumed to be good mm-hmm. so the technological imperative is if you can do it you should do it because it has this kind of uh, uh, what beneficial understanding of technology but we, we have the tendency to react and say no 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 it's demonic ironically on as we live chat on Skype on a YouTube broadcast it's demonic but we probably what we should recognize is that is that the uh, let's see the, the lordship of Jesus rescues us from these simple dualities so 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 we you know epicureans pleasure is good stoics pain is good christians Jesus is Lord, so hmm. if it's pleasure or pain, it all is good. Hmm. And the same thing, so that, that idea, so, uh, you know, we say death is bad, death is good. Christians say Jesus is Lord, so death is both bad and also good. Humanity, you have optimistic anthropology or pessimistic anthropology. We say Jesus is Lord, which means we're sinners, but we were created in God's image, and we're going to be redeemed because we're the brother of God incarnate. Hmm. Hmm. So the lordship of Jesus means that we don't have to say technology is bad or technology is good. We can say Jesus gave us the internet or whatever. I mean, you, we can even, I can even say Jesus gave us processed sugar <laughs> as a curse. I can't, I have to say that if Jesus is a sinner, hey, if it's heaven. here, if it's here, he's, he's the Lord of it, right? That's exactly and yet, right. And yet that does not mean that it's, that means it's good for these, you. all these things can be misused and, yeah. and everything else like this, but we can have a, we can have a, we can have a half step back from the, from the 
fury of the battle hmm. because we know that Jesus is Lord. Absolutely. And that all the all that stuff all the technic stuff that wants to wrap us into its story uh is it, it somehow is a gift from the Lord Jesus. I loved a lot of what you said. The thing I wanted to jump in most was way back and it was about um technology and the worship of technology. And you use the phrase playing the game and um, I think what's happened is Christians have played the game of believing that technology means something new. Yeah. That is precisely the, the, the lie that we've believed. And it's what is collapsing around us now. We're finding it's not new. It's just as it always has been. Um, and so there's that. Um, you also made this is a complete tangent thought, but you made me think of it. Um, that economy, a word that in the Greek means house, um, now means not at home, right? It's, it's like the opposite. Isn't that something? Um, well, not anymore. I mean, it's one of the things that true. coronavirus has it's done right. is it sent us back home. Beginning to for some, but not for all. And for those who it's not staying at home, it's worse. Dude. It's so much worse to not to have to work in the environment that they're in the offices in now. It's just, it's just rough. The masks and everything, man. Um, it, not every state, of course. Uh, so those things are all different. Um, Going back to technology again, though, so Moore's Law, this is something that I continue to be curious about. I'm, I'm by no means a scientist on this stuff, but the idea that Moore's Law has run out and that we're there for 10, 15 years oh, yeah. behind the stop also makes me increasingly suspect of all the claims. Uh, because all the claims are based upon the extension of our ability to grow and go faster into perpetuity and at a point where we have to like have our brains jump into robot bodies because our human bodies won't be able to take it. And that's what we're feeling now, by the way, if you're tired by modern life, your, your human body can't do what the robot body needs to do. Uh, so, so I don't know your thoughts about that and, and, and not necessarily more Moore's law, but the, the idea that the myths are probably overplayed at this point, the ideas of yeah. AI and whatnot, probably overplayed just touch, unless they got the quantum computing thing comes, you don't, you don't maybe really care about that. I think it's a myth too. It's his own myth. So, until um, they do it. I only know about Moore's Law from your Twitter feed. But here, uh, let me tell you a parable. I might have told you this before, but I think this is this is where this whole thing, this is where it came clear to me. And, and so telling the story has helped it come clear for a handful of people. Uh, I went, in 2017, some college there in Illinois, I don't even remember where I was going. Man, I was going too many places. But they came over and they were asking me to do a an afternoon lesson. I mean, I lectured for like four hours on the Reformation, the next 500 years. Mm. And so they, they had a history professor from the seminary do the first 500 years. And, uh, and so to get ready for that, I was, I was reading all the Reformation history stuff. And I thought, I wonder what they were saying about the Reformation 100 years ago. So I went back to 1917, and I was reading all these books on the history of the Reformation, and I started to notice a total, a, a complete difference about the way mm -hmm. they talked about it. Mm -hmm. Now, what, some of the difference was they weren't ashamed of the hero worship of Martin Luther. I mean, he was just full on, like as close as you could get to a Superman. Like the, I mean, the, but the same way they would talk about George Washington in that era right, as well. Right. They weren't afraid of having heroes. It's a huge difference. But here's the other thing I noticed. Here's the story of the Reformation that, as we told it, as we tell it now. There was a guy named Luther, and there was a thing called the printing press. Those two things are the Reformation. But if you go back to 1917 and hear the story, it was like this. There was a guy named Luther, and there was a God, the Holy Spirit. And that was the, and that was the Reformation. And I said, what about the printing press? So I went back to all these Google books on the history of the Reformation. 
And I looked for the printing press and Gutenberg and I searched all the keywords and they would maybe it would come up like once. Maybe they would mention it, but it wasn't the thing. And I realized how the, I, the, the thing of the of the Gutenberg printing press is how we understand history, now, which is different than how we understood history 100 years ago. Yeah, right. We understand history now in terms of the changing of things. It's a completely technological view of history and humanity, the past and the future. It's totally captivated our mind. And the, the history professor who was there at this lecture says, good heavens, you're right. <laughs> you are right. And he said, but I didn't even realize. He was a history professor, and he didn't. that's what he was doing. He was teaching history in terms of the advance of technology. Right. So it's now, not the history that, of man, it's the history of robots. Like, literally. Well, yeah, exactly. The history of machines. And you wonder why you feel so bad on the way to work. I'm not kidding. You, go, you have to you live You go like back that. and you think it's, it's like, oh, here was when... Yeah, this is how we do Here was when, what, uh, cannonballs were invented. And here's when the cotton gin was yeah, invented. And like here's when the telegraph the was invented. Well, and it's all about... So there's a book called Guns, Germs, and Steel, which is really quite bad in a lot of ways. But it also, as a title, summarizes a lot of stuff, right? Uh, right and right. and it, there is a way in which history is the advent of technology in the hands of evil men destroying other men's societies and families with it right and so to see it as that but it's usually painted as a history of heroes but then more recently it's become the history of like really weird looking secular heroes who no one can like empathize with at all right <laughs> uh, but, how, but the christian mind should recognize that while there are things that change that's the stuff that doesn't matter yes the things that matter are the things that don't yes. change so back in then and now there was there was husbands and wives and children and there was there was homes and there was cities, just like we're, you were praying in Psalm 20, 127, 123. Mm -hmm. There was uh, there was gates. There was conversation. There was uh, so the three there was church. There was a God who loved us and was forgiving our sins. And that never changes that. And that and this thing and here. And so here this is so easy for us because the things that matter are the things that don't change. Mm -hmm. And then we can look like old men. We're like. 150 years old, even though we're 43 or whatever, we look at the world and we're like, you know, it's just like the old men look at the world. Yeah, you, These things come and go. They come and oh, it all comes and goes. Of course it comes and goes. But there's things that stay the same. And those are the things that matter. And when the things that matter capture our imaginations and our work and our attention, then then God be praised. Then we're free to goof around with the things that change. And when the things that change become the things everyone's building on, you should expect that to collapse Yes, right. And don't freak out. Your life's built on the things that matter. Just keep doing it. And if it happens to be your job and you're in the way of the storm, well, it's for your good anyway. So deal with it. But by and large, you can live without the panic. You can put your task, your hands to the task that's in front of you when you know those are the tasks that have always been. The trick for a lot of Christians, Brian, and, that, and Psalm 127 is right on that, is that we have a generation of Christians being told by Christian parents, um, don't do the things that have always mattered. Go do something else instead. And that's a tough conflict of conscience for a lot of people. Um, thoughts on that? I don't, I don't have to go as far as I went earlier, but. No, no, I don't. Th I mean, you're, I think you're you're right about this. Uh, but, you, you know, this idea that. So, OK, maybe let me. Because hmm, one, one of the dangers of evolution. OK, let's say that is that. It wants to make all technology new. Hmm. And so one of the things, one of the important things about our confession of creation is recognizing that some things that the evolution wants to see as invented are permanent. Hmm. 
and chief of, among those is language. That words were the words are not a technology. Words were there from the beginning, and so so to think of the permanent things is not to think of the kind of the picture of the caveman or whatever, but the picture of of Adam and Eve going to church. So, uh, so you see what I mean? So yeah, like I do. E- evolution wants to tell the whole story to where like remember the, like the first time that man invented fire or whatever, and we got to say no 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 no. There was a start. There was a conversation. Mm-hmm. There was, the, the, was Zechariah saying in the Nunc Dimittis, as you spoke through the holy prophets, which were since the world began. So, the, so prophecy is not a new technology. No. And so, nor is fire, so, as you pointed out. Nor is fire. Nor nor is words. Nor is no. home. Nor is homes. We this idea that we lived in caves and this whole we got to kind of do some work on this because. I, I, the only time you find cavemen is when you get far from Jerusalem. The only time you find cavemen like, is when, after the flood, people had to get off the ark and live in caves for like three to four months through a hard winter, and they drew about what they were going to do the animals when they got out and built, you know, the, the Babel in two years. So whatever. I, like I mean, it just it, the flood undoes all that, and we can't go find too far back. But where the fire came from? I mean, I've been. I've been in Ecclesiastes like like the devil recently, and maybe that's the wrong way to say it. But but um, what I found is a question um, that c- we'll, we'll come back to this a little bit, I think, which is I started wondering about his language of under the sun hmm. and and under the light bringer, um, the the one who was created to be a light giver, who has become instead the the wrathful fire. Uh, and the one who, in all the pagan theologies, is Prometheus, who gives himself to men, right, uh, effectively. Um, and so I've just been wondering about Solomon's wisdom of life under the angel of wrath, and, and just thinking of it in, in those terms. Um, uh, I wanted to bring that back to uh, uh, what you were saying before then. Uh, go, just respond to that, and maybe I'll get what I had had the other piece of it. No, i got to think about it. Uh... you got to read it. Just read it through that way and see. Um, and mm. The idea is that... Again, it would be like, he really means the sun. He's using the word sun, right? But in a poetic sense, he also is recognizing uh, the place of the sun is is the, the life under the angel of wrath, life under the world power, as the theologians would used to say it a little bit too. Um, Crud, I wanted, to, I wanted to connect that to something though. You know, I mean, you're, so th- this is something that you're onto. This is a helpful thing that you're onto. It could be too helpful. <laughs> but I mean, but you know, paying attention, the, the sun and the moon and the stars were given to us by God just to the serve lights this in the heaven, man. I just got that from Genesis. I, my clock and wasn't we, working, and, and so I, <laughs> I looked at the ones that are in the sky. That's it. I don't. I, I was wondering how. So you, when you were doing your four a.m. whatever and posting pictures of like you reading the Bible with a candle, yeah, yeah. And I wonder how long this could last because I got up at four a.m. one time and it's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. It still but happens I got sometimes. Sick this summer. Here's an interesting thing. When I was sick this summer, and so I didn't have anything. I mean, I couldn't do anything because I was just yeah, right, right, just sort of sitting around. And um, and you start to sync up different, you know. So well, you get the habit going, right? The biggest problem with the four a.m. wasn't the four a.m. It was like the eight o'clock bedtime that my family really didn't like because, like, where are you? <laughs> and so that's that's what it came down to. Um, I found it interesting that since I started. This is COVID allowable, but um, since that happened, I began not setting the alarm and letting myself rise and go to bed kind of natively. And I found that I follow the sun pretty closely. Um, mm-hmm. Now that the sun's going down or coming up a bit late, I'm waking up when it's still dark, but not much. 
And so there's a natural rhythm you get into, but part of that is also I've taken steps to remove blue light in the evening, things like that, right? So I, I have yeah, all these right. ways of trying not to be artificially kept awake um, besides children. <laughs> that's not artificial. It's not they, artificial. Right. I, uh, the, well, that's what the night's for, mm. for children. But but the um, uh, the here's an interesting thing. I mean, kind of that reminded me of my thing. I'll, I'll write it down. Keep going. No, no, you because no, no, no. I, I had my mind was split in two different directions. One was this idea of the ancient sleep pattern of how people would get up in the middle of the yeah, night. The binaural. But was, the other thing yeah. that I was thinking about. What was this? Oh, yeah. This is maybe more important because I've been thinking a lot more about rest because um, I used to think that rest was like the unfortunate byproduct of weakness. So you work, 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 and then you rest because you have to. Yeah. But the uh, but it's changed in in my mind. And in other words, if like if I have something I have to because now I just don't have the choice because I get tired so easy. I still have this. (laughs) nonsense so if i want to do something i have to rest hmm. so that i can do it so the rest so the rest comes first and so i was thinking about this pattern of rest so you have the old but you, i think it's different in old testament and new testament because because you have the daily pattern which is in the old testament is night and day mm-hmm. and then you have the weekly pattern which is worked and rest so daily work follows rest but weekly rest follows work and there's a different kind of rest your night rest versus your day rest and the, in the new testament that swaps around hmm. so we start with sabbath the first day of the week so you rest and then work because the day then, the day is redeemed the creation is the redeemed I, see i am doing a new this, thing and the only new thing is that that ah keep going so anyway there's this kind of unique kind of pattern and the way that it works and and to think now is that did the lord just sort of reset the pattern of life i love it old testament to new testament i wonder in the resurrection yeah it's a it's a kind of a cosmic i don't know but so so the rest so the daily rest work is swapped and the weekly rest work is swapped and the sabbath so i don't know i'm I'm noodling on that i think you're right uh it, it fits my own personal cosmology, which I've decided all cosmologies are mythologies. So who cares? And uh, you, you actually, I mean, you should care if it, if it goes against scripture is when you should care. And the problem with the one most people subscribe to right now is built by atheists for atheists by and large. And we just kind of believe a lot of it. I'm not saying I don't believe it out of hand. I'm just, um, I'm not opposed to this idea of a cosmological change, uh, on the day of resurrection. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that happened that day. It's pretty big deal. So, um, why not? That's interesting. And it would change your human pattern. Hmm. Um, so the thing that I was remembering uh, or wanted to remember earlier was you were talking about things that last and, you know, I, I mentioned getting off the, the ark and living in caves for a winter or whatever. Um, the thing that's been the most, I don't even know how to talk about this, but the most stunning and uh, coincidental gift to me uh, in the last year because it it symbolizes, it really does. And it symbolizes, it centralizes, and it solidifies. How's that? Um, uh, everything about the positive I've gotten out of COVID, um, which has not been, yay, COVID. It's, but it's been, the suffering has revealed a whole lot of truths, frankly. Um, and what it is, is my hearth. I have a stone hearth. And when I was thinking about these very things, the things that last, the things that matter, um, well, stone actually is like the first idol, right? Like you set it up so that you can have a name for yourself. But then I was thinking about this very thought, Brian, but it's redeemed now. And the stone that you had to, used to have to build an altar out of, you can build a hearth out of. 
The fire mm. you used to make sacrifices out of, you can gather people around. That sounds like something that happened in the Bible. Like Old New Testament, doesn't it? I mean, am I nuts? Yeah. Am, I, am I completely off kilter? So I'm just, I'm really thankful nope. for this hearth. And, I, and I, I began trying to intentionally, I put a Jesus up on top of it, crucifix, intentionally building it as like, the, it's got a library to it. Uh, the kids are invited to join me around it. I pray at it every day, um, not to the hearth, right? And nor to the crucifix, but in the direction of the crucifix atop the hearth as the gathering place of my family. Uh, yeah. well, and the outside, there's a tree that I, I'm thinking about the same thing with remembering our Lord hung on one. So uh, all that goes with your cosmology shift there. Like, how do we look at nature? Not like a clock. It's modernism, yeah. not like a clock. I know. It. I need a hearth. Uh, we have a, we have only a fake fireplace that didn't have anything in it. So I built a, I put a bunch of candles in there. That works. It starts. It, it starts. And, uh, and it even, it's an amazing thing. I got a bunch of candles in there. And so I sit there with my feet to it, like as if it has fire. Hey. Because you need uh, G.K. Chesterton talked a lot about that, about how the hearth is civilization. Yeah, I think he's right. And and so he, so I mean, and you're onto it. And I've I've thought about this too about you know when you build a house, that's the first thing you do is you build the the hearth, and it and it's the and it provides the energy. We have it all. So we have it all. You know, you, so you can plug in. So you have little mini. We have little mini hearths that are electrical outlets in every you can room throw them away <laughs> and you have uh have you and... seen the plug-in ones i'm talking about the plug-in ones there's like a little space here that's made to look like a fire i used to have one of these oh, no, it's like a light cool. that makes it look like it's that's a fire right. it's like a fake hearth when, when the house when the house falls down the hearth won't by and large right it'll survive things um yeah gathering around fire oh 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 oh, oh. dude so i want to read chesterton more now i already have i, I bought his what's wrong with the world again recently um but uh, think about how before, say, 1920, 1930, in every family in the world for a long time, what people did at night was they stared at a fire. Mm-hmm. And that fire, they would have conversation around it. But by and large, what is fire? It's like a, it's like a pure energy. Like it's, it's meaningless in itself. Like it doesn't have shape. And so what I think you're able to do when you look at a fire is you're able to think you're able to meditate without trying to meditate. You're able to process. You're able to defrag. You're able to think again. I said it. Um, now, imagine that not only were you thinking every time you sat up late at the fire, you were doing it with your family. You were binding your culture. You were growing together. You were civilizing. And then we introduced a bluer, stranger fire uh, as the thing to gather around. And the biggest difference is it talks to you. Mm-hmm. Now you got a fire that talks to you. And as soon as my brain put it in those categories, I just wanted to stop thinking about it. Hmm. You want to talk demonic, man? That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff. We, we all should take we, our TVs and put them in the fireplace, <laughs> and then see how we'll see what happens. People put them over the top because they realize they have. If you have a hearth and a TV, you realize what a, a conundrum you have. Like you have two centers to your house. It, it really is difficult. Um, anyway, the the more we ponder these things, yeah, the more what you the say when it comes on. Of the living room around the TV was a. I mean, was a big thing that people have noted all the time. Do you know that when I was in high school, let's see, so when I was 16, uh, have I told you this? So I, I, I went on this adventure trip in, in the outback of Australia. Yes. Well, you told me some of that. And, I don't know, but it's worth saying again. I don't know. And they, and they, and they hired me. So when I was 17 and 18, awesome. same thing. I spent, I spent three months outside. I mean, there was one time where, where it was, it was like seven weeks that I, ne- that I didn't go under a roof. I mean, I suppose like I would go, we would go to the gas station, you know, and I would, 
I'd go and order a hamburger. But I went three weeks without wearing shoes. But every night we would just sit around the fire and um, late, I mean, late, 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 late. And that uh, that became a shape, you know, of, of life is sitting around the fire like mm-hmm. that. And it does something to So when you sit around the fire, everybody becomes a philosopher. Hmm. That's true. That's awesome. Because it makes you think. And again, yeah. I'm going to put it back to nothing under the sun. It, it, I don't know if it's the sun, but I wonder more and more about light and fire and Lucifer mm-hmm. and his connection as an angel and the disappearance of these things in the life of the world to come. And I'm not saying like you've stared at your fire, you're staring at the devil. I'm saying maybe that is kind of what his job was, was to help you think. Mm-hmm. And then he didn't do it so well, but he still is bound by Jesus, right? But in, mm-hmm. in the blue light, there's an unbinding going on, a letting loose. Dare I say it a little season? I don't even think that way about the little season, but golly, that's a little freaky. I don't want to say that. I didn't say that. I didn't say it. It's there is a there's a way that uh, you know that that um, by the way I was thinking about this the other day that the cigar and the pipe become a replacement because you got to have your own um, your own little fire. That's you know? interesting. Well, there, it, what that did was it pushed to the fore the debate between man and woman who gets to say what's inside. That's what it really did. Um, as did air conditioning and inside heating because when you had a, a hearth and um, no windows. The pipe didn't matter that much, I think. Uh, but you know, <laughs> uh, but these days it's a little different, right? Um, so I don't know that debate of of headship and patriarchy. That's the one I think is the real uh, agenda at at the devil's root here. He wants to destroy the image of the Father, and to do that, he must destroy the image of man. Um, Lewis was onto this with his ab- abolition of man philosophically years ago. Um, what we're watching is the play out of it as a um, a white noise babble, and I think we're watching it fail. I don't think it can work. I think God wants civilization to go on unless Jesus is about to come back, which he could do. Otherwise, civilization is going to go on, so he's got he's to take this thing down somehow. Well, that's that's always the good news about the three estates, right? Yeah. I mean, th- these are things established by God, and while people can damage themselves by running into the wall, <laughs> they cannot collapse the wall. Right. So while there's damage done fighting against the patriarchy, there's damage done fighting against family. There's damage done fighting against marriage and fighting against the gospel and fighting against uh, the neighborhood. Mm. So there can be damage there, which we mourn that damage. But we have the hope that the, the, that the things can't be destroyed. There will be, when Jesus comes back, a church and family and state that just will – they they can't be undone. So we, we have confidence. Well, we, so, you know, we, we think we're watching the collapse of civilization. But that's impossible. I think we're watching the rise cannot of cannot collapse. Now, our particular <laughs> version of it probably can and maybe should. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Absolutely. But, but I, civilization can't collapse, and so we have we shouldn't be worried about in the midst of all these things. I think we're right. It's again to, to know that Jesus is Lord of all of this. Amen. So while we want to get wrapped up into when we see the injustice, we see the injustice. But it all it, prayer. You know, the fervor we have in prayer. How, how does this? The, the 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 injustice that we see and the and the animosity and anger and anxiety and all the sort of this this the the fire that's cultivated in us by the by the opened eyes to to see through the white noise to use your language and see the, and to see how all the good things are being assaulted and and abused and, and so the fervor is expressed in prayer and the more fervent our prayers then the more even handed our love is and and our lives are i think so we want our fervor to go to the lord in prayer and then the result is we have this sort of 
We we don't have to worry about the other you stuff. Roll, we can just go roll with blast. It. You roll with it. And you realize sometimes the punch, if it's rolled with just right, becomes the grip by which you throw your opponent to the ground. And uh, It is spiritual jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, we are capturing the devil's momentum and using yeah, it so against we, him. We're not even trying. That's the best part. It just happens. Like, the more you believe what the Ten Commandments say about creation right now, especially on being a man, believe what the Bible says, it's just going to work. It's just going to work really well. Got to be gentle. Can't be a jerk, right? But, but like, own it. And that's where... Well, that's part of it. It's part... It's That's... that's. I mean, we cannot let... We got... as we When, when we talk about patriarchy, one of the, the, one of the biggest things... It's not the biggest obstacle, but one of the very big obstacles is that... Is the caricature of masculinity... Mm-hmm. That's been that's been painted by the character by the by the devil who's a who's a, just a uh, he's an expert cartoonist you know well and he's a transdrogenist at the end of the day he wants to get what rid does that of mean again? it's a transdrogenist that's my word for uh, what everyone else wants to call um, the the transsexual movement or whatever they'll be GDQ and and what on what they want is to get rid of uh, a, a by narrow world and get us transed into a androgynous world. And so I'm not going to call them what they want to be called. They're a transdrogynous movement. And that's literally what we're achieving with them where you can't tell what's what and who's who, but what's happening, what's happening is it's making the men who are owning men are becoming overtly masculine in ways that may not may, I think will de-civilize. So you have some of us who are like, let's be men, right? Let's learn how to discipline. I think you're going to have barbarians, in the streets, literally. Um, you already do in a lot of the cities. Yeah, um, that's wild. Yeah, and, and that's because they must for their culture to survive. And you, well, know, you can tell them it's wrong, whatever. They don't care. They're in, they're in the jungle where they are. Does And this is a, just a, a technical question, and I don't know the answer to it, but I would, is does the whole trans whatever, it, it, it has to result in sterility. Yeah, well, I yeah. think what they're going to do is they want to steal... I mean, if a, if a man does steal, everything that... They want to. They want he's to eat available fake to babies. become a woman. He he's not. He can't no, have a baby. That's right. It's the end of it's the end of life. But what the individuals want to do is the, um, they want to fake it, right? So you find a way to do in vitro, um, or some sort of DNA manipulation, um, and and or they adopt. And it, you should know that how difficult it is for Christians to adopt these days. Um, there's all sorts of things in play to maintain that you can live however you want to live in the Gnostic world. And Gnosticism is maybe another way to look at it, right? They're denying the the physical body that it even exists. Uh, how how wild is that? That you, you if uh, that the definition of of womanhood is so has been so severed from being a mom mm-hmm. that a man can think that he can be a woman. What, what there's no there's like trans what about trans moms like uh, instead of being a dad i want to be a mom what's you know well, instead of being a mom i want to be a dad so well you can't do that like genesis 3 the curse of woman particularly is that she's going to be dissatisfied with her position as woman that that i think that's in the curse clearly that her her desire will be her, ze- her zealous her jealousness will be for a man what's weird is for man to want to be a woman that's not in the curse that's the reflection of an already cursed thing collapsing, right? There's something that, but, stranger and, going on there. And that's the, that's like two thirds of this whole thing, right? I mean, if you, if you look at how, what are the percentages of, of men who want to be women and women who want to be men, it's mostly men who want to be women. If I, if I, if I have my, I've not looked at stats. I don't stats. know. But when you see the pictures of people doing crazy stuff, it's guys, you know, the, the person who looks crazy. Well, and that, it's also this weird. 
Go ahead. This weird thing about like it's not just a whenever you see a guy becoming a woman, he doesn't become like a frumpy grandma. He becomes he's dressed like a prostitute, you know. Even I if mean, he looks like a frumpy the, grandma, but it's well, but they're like a frumpy grandma dressed as a prostitute is also a man. It's, and I don't say that like like to just be mean. It's just what it looks like. It's just it's um, it is strange. It is strange, and I think it's a form of barbarianism too. And so what's happening is in the fragmentation of our our false babbles language of. Uh, what the technological new order that we all believed in um, as that collapses, it's just more obvious how fragmentary everything is. And, well, okay. and go ahead. So go ahead. Let me put a theory out there because so, the, and this is it connects to some, what, how we got out onto this topic is that um, we have a caricature of, of masculinity that does not include gentleness. Hmm. And, and therefore if there's a man who wants to be gentle, he says, well, my only way to be gentle is to be a woman. There's a, something very similar happened, I think, with the kind of breakup of male friendship, because whenever whenever relationship became sexualized, one that's, of the great dangers. The this has yeah. been noted tons of yeah. times, is that the the, the 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 intimacy between one man and, a, and another, which would 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 be understood as friendship in the ancient world, is now has been sexualized, and so, you know, this kind of plague of men with no friends yeah. again men with no noticed. brothers men with no brothers that's what it comes down to men with no brothers a, a plague of men who then are not as sure as they could be about anything because nothing holds you together like brotherhood and that that's not a known thing shows you where we're at <laughs> it shows yeah. you how far away yeah, we yeah, are yeah. you know there, so that we to know that part of our part of being a man is pursuing close friendships mm -hmm. with other men that you can love them and another part of our masculinity is gentleness there is the, uh, uh, it's part of it I want to chirp it, on that not, though because it's I think, not an accidental attribute that, no, that, a, that a true man pursues gentleness required by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scriptures but gentleness is a feminine term in English now or a feminized term and I would I would contest that to use that term we have to then redefine it we have to give it some other meaning than effectively softness um, yeah. because the masculine gentleness is about withheld crushing power it's not about being right. soft it's about yeah yeah it's it's the you know the picture of these huge kind of like uh, blacksmith hands, like holding a baby duck. Right, <laughs> right, right. The yeah. ability to, to have self, it's a form of self-control, I suppose, or a self-control with regard to the spirit and its control of the body. I don't know. They, they, they definitely tie mm -hmm. to each other as the fruit of the spirit tend to. Um, so I'm with you on that. Um, but it, it's, the rec it's the recovery of the masculine as a whole, as a good thing. And it's been subtly derided, I think, for a very long time. Um, the more that it becomes unsubtly derided the more you'll have natural law reasserting itself the estates as you point out um and what christians should do is just be ahead of that curve because we have the bible that said we should have been doing this all along anyway I mean, it's really not that mm -hmm. tough to recognize the difference between our body parts and then believe what the bible says about us except for that it is tough because it's it's hard right it's not it is not weird, but message. we have abandoned natural law so you know we used to have the ten commandments were like the cliff notes to natural law it right. gave us a head start but everyone could get there but when natural law was abandoned or evolutionized or whatever, then hmm. then it seems like we're, what we're talking about these things, we're talking about theology. It's a weird thing, isn't it? It's like, hey, uh, you know, we should stop killing the babies. And like, don't you put your religion on me. It's like, not killing babies is a religious assertion? It used to just be kind of a human thing to 
and not kill the babies. Well, but, so I forget who's is it. Kuntz has been pushing me on. Um, uh, it's all worship, anyway. Yes, it's all worship. that's right. That's right. You know, when you go to vote, you're worshiping. When you go to eat, you're worshiping. Unless everybody else who's not a Christian is, right? So you're there with them, and your flesh is there. And if you're like offended that I said that, you just don't understand Christianity. Like, deal with it. You're there with them as a Christian, and yet it is a worship facility. That's what everyone else is doing. Their belly is God. And zombies. Zombies, Brian, we got to start having some framework. I don't care what image you use in your head to believe liars whose consciences are seared are fools. We should call them as such, not to their face, but so that we would not be deceived by them. And You've been pushing me on this, and I've been talking, I've started this project listening to the pushing atheists. us on this. <laughs> But I, you, you've been pushing me. I've been, you've been saying this, and it's been preaching to me. Good. And I've been trying to take, listen to you on it. But, but um, there's this. I've been. I started this new project where I'm. I'm just interviewing atheists about how they lost their faith. That's really interesting. And uh, but my, part of my assumption is that they're nice people. Yeah. I think I have to assume that in the conversation. You know. What are you finding? Are they? But I, I would. Assu- I would assume that too. Like like at an eight to ten, eight out of ten, maybe. Right. What's what's your actual numbers? Are they all nice. Well, I've only got one, and he's he was nice so far. Every time we talk, he gets nicer and nicer. Well, there you go. He didn't start out nice. Hmm. He's getting nicer. You remember on this God is their belly thing, you remember the old Cronach Law Gospel painting? Um, it has the devil that's there, and the devil, the demon, has his face on his belly. Huh. I don't and know. And I think that's a Cronach thing, but it's an ancient world thing. Uh, that the demon has the the belly is a mouth. Yeah, right. Is my is my camera good enough that I can show that to you, or is it kind of fuzzy? Gonna, to do what? I'm gonna show you the picture. The picture. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were gonna show you pull pull your belly up, show us your shirt. Uh, pull your shirt up, show us your belly. Um, yeah, the chronic painting. Cool. Uh, this one doesn't have it. I got the version that doesn't have it. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, no, you know the like demon it. there. So normally that demon. Has this big gaping mouth on its stomach. I got another bird. Oh, it's not in this version either. That demon, you guys got to go look it up. But his God is so that the demons are pictured of that your that your whole face is your gut. Hmm. It's really something. Their God is their belly. Well, like it's just it, again that is um, how the Bible describes it. I think it's Jude who who quotes. I forget where he quotes from. Um, but the idea, I mean, you know this for your own heart too, right? Like every time, every time you're tempted, it's your belly. You know, at the end, you can track it back. It's your own uh, psychosocial, emotional, bodily need. And and that is what's inside of you craving security in this age. And then that's the siren song it says, hey, security in this age, right? And, and, then, mm-hmm. and then the Lord's like, there ain't no security, dude, sit down. <laughs> and sit down. I might kill you. Hang on tight. And, and uh, no, 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 you're not. You're not going to die. I just might kill you. And you're like, what? And it takes a little while to get used to, right? But it's it's a better myth. It's not a that myth. That is some, a myth. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, right. It is. It's this. It's this after the fall. You know, Adam and he, so. Do you remember how Luther talked? I I gotta write about this. I really want to write about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Luther says that the wisdom that Adam and Eve had in perfection was they could look at the world and understand it perfectly. Mm-hmm. They. The, uh, Adam could see the parrot and understand why God created the parrot and the dolphin and the tree. And he understood the essence of the thing and he would name them. And then after the fall, all Adam can do is look around and say, can I eat it or is it going to eat me? I need the bump bump to come in on that one though. It's so good. Uh, uh, I think it's the third time you turn. So we are consumed and consuming. Yes. 
That's it. We do we just go around eating and devouring and being devoured. That's like our that's like the picture of our life and it's a and it's false. Cuz if it's it not so if it's not false. can I eat it is can I use it to get my life to be better so I can eat what I want when I want to when I want to. Like it ultimately we're looking to use everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to use everything. Hey, um I'm not trying to use you with this question. Uh you mentioned writing. You have a new book coming out, right? Did you say that recently? No. No. Are you talking with no, someone I about a new book? You're talking about a new book. I can't even write it. I can't even finish this essay. Oh, 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 maybe. Yeah. I can't even finish. Okay. I'm, I'm writing an essay now about, uh, what is this about? Oh, about seeing with spiritual eyes. That'll be Oh, cool. Where's something. that going to be at? Uh, Doxology, Zalesorga. Okay. I'll put, put on the blog. I've noticed you've been, but, um, you've been Instagramming more like just smart note stuff too. Like, like that's really cool. I love that. Um, like you're just taking shots uh, of what you're writing I'm, now. I'm, I'm supposed to have a conversation with CPH coming up about the parables. Well, that's interesting. All of them? It is. All of them? All of them. Wow. 39 of them. One book? I don't think we do 39, but it might be, I don't know what it's going to, I don't know, I haven't talked to them about what they want to do, I don't. so I'm not sure, sure I'm awesome. supposed to talk about it, but uh, they want to, uh, it would be a, like a book and a study guide and a curriculum and multimedia kind of video sort of stuff. So it'd be like a whole like media suite right, right, right. about sure. the wisdom of, of the Proverbs, so... I don't parables. know. I don't know if it'll happen. Parables. Parables. Oh, yeah. What parables. did I say? Prodigals? Proverbs. Although the Proverbs and the parables, I mean, they're not so distinct. Uh, there's overlap. I was the one I saw recently. I can't remember now. Like two days ago, I'm like, ooh, that sounded like a parable. Um, the text for tomorrow has it. Jesus says, I'll tell you the parable of the fig tree. Mm-hmm. And it's a and it's a, it's a a proverb, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, it functions it's, it's as a one, one. It's a one-sentence parable. What I've been finding in reading Proverbs Old Testament is a lot of them are close enough to things Jesus says in parables and other places, right? So a lot of what mm-hmm. Jesus says is like, oh, look, that would, he, he wasn't just making it up because I'm Jesus. Like he was quoting the Proverbs or he was taking and applying the Proverbs to the parables. And you're absolutely right, though. A parable as a word always has been a confusing word for me. Um, I'm not even sure why, like etymologically still, why we use it because Proverbs, a better way. Story. I mean, it's a story. Myth. I don't know. That's a Greek word is parable. Is it parable? I, I wonder Parables. why we didn't translate it though. I know, right? And and like that's always an issue. Like we do that randomly. Sometimes it comes straight in and sometimes not. So what else? Um it's Thanksgiving, did you get together anybody? What's where Yeah, it's a friend from Colorado came to visit, so that's great. Texas so. allows you to move around. Austin yeah. lets you move around. In fact the Supreme Court of Texas did this nice thing yesterday or sometime and they said, Hey, remember that the uh that churches are first amendment protected. So any any restrictions put on anything don't apply to churches. The governor had said it. Now the Supreme Court of Texas said it. It's kind of nice. So just getting ready. You know how all the how all the states on the coasts are like they're putting in their abortion laws in case Roe v. Wade goes down, right, and Texas right. is like doing the opposite. Oh, good for it. They're putting in their you can go to church laws in case it goes the other way. So how does how does uh, Austin deal with that though? Because Austin's the other direction, and you've also got an influx of people moving away from the the West Coast, if I understand too. I know. I know, oh man, I saw the colors, you know, when when we were on election night and Austin was so blue, it was like 83% or something crazy like that. I'm like, wow. So uh, the mayor, this happened like right at the beginning of COVID. Governor Abbott came out and said, hey, churches, you have, you have the First Amendment, so you don't need to worry about anything. And... Uh, and they're like, well, what about all the stay-at-home restrictions for everyone else? And like, look, you have—he said, you got the First Amendment. Don't worry about it. Hmm. You do what's right and what's safe, 
well, I can't tell you what to do. That's awesome. So then the mayor uh, came out, uh, the mayor of Austin, and he said, uh, he said, uh, you have a stay-at-home order and churches can't worship. And the media's like, well, wait, the governor just said they could. You can't override the governor. He says, I know, but I want everyone to know that if they don't follow these orders, they're murderers. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Thank you. Well, that is for all those quickly. people who want to say that the law can't govern the the, the law can't legislate morality. Well, apparently it can. <laughs> no, but it can't, and it didn't. You notice? I doubt. I, well, some people might have listened, but you didn't, right? Uh, you cannot enforce the law you do not enforce. <laughs> That's we are being very careful, you know. But we're still having church. It's when I mean, we're looking at the numbers now too, and it's sort. I think I found that it's it self regulates. Mm. So. As the cases grow and more hospitalizations grow, then fewer people are there. And so we have the online options. We have the family options. We have the mini service options. We have the Sunday morning options. So, yep. you know, but it's nice to be we are we are now not being coerced. We're just being asked to be wise. And so that's actually right. something that we can do. Say, right. OK, right. We can be wise. Right. I think we can try at least. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to advocate. Um, a little differently because I don't have a governor or a mayor quite on the same, well, the mayor is on the same page, but that's exactly what I've been saying back to the elders though. It's like, look, here's where we are. We're going to trust that everybody's wise enough to handle this. And if, if they need to stay home, they're going to stay home. And we've seen just that. And, uh, it's so, and that's, and that's to say nothing of the entire other side of who you trust when, where, what about any of this, you know, you're, you're afraid to see Austin go blue. My first thought was, well, it's always going to be. Because they do it that way. And so you know, just, just just be honest about it. I mean, you live there as a sojourner. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to do anything about it. So anyhow, um, Brian, thanks for sharing your Saturday morning with me. Um, tell us where you want people to go right now if they were going to go find more of you. What what of your many faces should they go look at? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Newsletter. Uh, Give me your newsletter The website? Pitch. Everything ends up on the website, wolfmuller.co. I published a theological gift guide yesterday that's the po- the most recent post up there i like, think i even put a link to your book without books, flesh on there that would be good i buried it deep so people wouldn't get to it but yeah, you, you, you and you and uh in the cph catalog so broken and echo didn't show up for the first time man i think it's just the christmas one which is fine but i, I felt a little sad i was like wow that's like the first there's one not, broken has american christianity failed for five bucks yeah, well, so. there you go. I mean, on sale at least. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the reason for all of it, of course, the reason I know why you write, why you do what you do, is because you want people to know that Christ has risen from the dead, that their conscience has been set free in Him, and so that's why I can I can always recommend you and all your stuff to everybody else. So go check out wolfmuller.co um, or get a hold of his Wednesday Whatnot newsletter over there, all that kind of thing. Brian, thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. Really appreciate you got it. it. I'm gonna hang up on you, and then say for everybody else. Um, I'm going to give you one more little bonus if you want to stick around for just a moment. This will not be a full three-minute break. Um, but if you've been wondering about Fisk's fiction writing and you really want to waste a few more moments, I'll give you a taste of it on the other side of this. So you can you can stick around. That's fast enough. I found what I needed. Um, and uh, hey, I, I did miss. Hold on. I know there's one more super chat. I'm going to get that. Cringe Rucker comes back in again with this one. He says, note about cave art. The handprints are child size. Also, all cave art globally shows up around the same time. Well, that would be the, the you know, the... the 
they're, they're having the kids do finger painting during the dark winter, first time out the flood. Makes sense to me. Uh, he also mentions uh, Chichulu may swim slowly, but he only swims left. I love that. Mencius Moldbug, uh, Moldbug, one of the saddest idioms I've ever read in the reactionary corners I follow. Well, I, I kind of like it, though. Um, even though I, I see the political side of it, too, um, if you only make left turns, you end up going the right way eventually. So, well, or you just get them to stop making turns eventually. Anyway. I want to give you a little bit of this. If you followed my Mad Monday's newsletter at all, you used to know about a thing called dust kind of at the bottom. I don't know if it really matters what it was, and this isn't even how it begins, how it is, but it's something that I thought maybe you might enjoy. So here we go for what it's worth. Mirror scrutinized his own reflection in the glass of the projection chamber. The sample's behavior was beyond irrational, impossibly suspicious, and it known. But how? More to starve itself rather than to submit to gentle reprocessing. Even to refuse the medicated meals. This was oppression surpassing its procedural codifications. The winged body drooped. The cold blue eyes blinked again, but did not open. Mirror stared through his own eyes, looking back upon him, upon the animal's corpse, then blinked it all away as he turned toward the staircase to the bridge. The algorithm... Orlock's voice echoed from multiple comms. I'm missing some element, Mirror said. He stepped past the pilot console, sunsetting cloud painted through the lead-glassed four-portal. Not all airships were as inspired as Warlock. Two hulking shipping frigates could be seen drifting like interstellar flotsam within a cumulo-lava-drenched sea. You have chased this rabbit before, Warlock said. Then we are lost, Mirror replied. That is not what you have sung. We've examined every order, and there are no more to trust. The keystone is a myth. Warlock shook under turbulence. Those cloudy pillars of sun dust held darkening underbellies. Warlock, Mirror said, already making course adjustments. That too, Mirror acknowledged, staring into the building energies of the unknown through the transparent pupils of his own reflection. Omens were for stories. Run a karmic capacity standard load. Reinitialize the algorithm and compile for assimilation. You have yet to solve for the infinite value deterioration loop. Time is the only god we have left to betray, Mirror muttered. The precedent did not compute. Are you confident you are well enough to drive? Mirror was already at the console, overriding Warlock's security protocols. He ruffled swiftly through a latch-bound leather wrap of papers until he returned a singular note scrawled with the most oblong semblance of mixed hero runes and glyphs. Whatever else might be entailed in these arcane notes, the Arabic notation 4242 could be legibly discerned to hold a pride of place in the upper right-hand corner. Mir did not have authorization to complete a personal assimilation without protocols and backups via the vice consulate of psalmic retention and remanufacture, the storm surrounded Warlock now, the last light of evening, a memory in the rumbling darkness. Can we find the Ember Star? Mir asked. Warlock, contentedly feasting away on overclocked computations, would only speak when spoken to in safe mode. The ship would certainly recognize the rhetorical, for the quotation that it was. Mir hummed the tune as he leaned back in the pilot station, adjusting for a possible nap and defrag. The text ran through his mind. One man amid a thousand, but of woman none, yet she has borne a son. And so, he comes by woman now. Warlock rattled again, stem to stern, 
the high charge of friction in the air casting a momentary ground trigger in the console circuits. Warlock, how long will this protocol take to implement? Maximum game time run equal 42 days. Surprise was not an emotion Mirror encountered often. Minimum, he asked. 42 days. We always knew the effect would be dynamic, he said to himself. You will not remember the risk you took. Even with the backups, Mirror asked. No, Warlock replied. When you remove security protocols on inspiration, the unexpected is the least madness you should pre-condition for. That got Mirror's attention. I don't know. What do you think? If you liked it, that's great. I probably will not be publishing it anytime soon, but it's the first story I've enjoyed writing, and I have no idea what's even happening, which is kind of crazy. We'll see what happens. Hey, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to go hang out with my kids and enjoy this beautiful last day of not winter here in Northern Illinois. Maybe put some lights on the house and whatnot, but thank you for sticking around, showing up, talking to the comments, being part of the community. If you're not part of the Mad Christian Discord, you need to be. If you aren't getting our newsletter, you need to be. If you would like to help support me on Patreon, Rev Fisk, you can find me there. That's great. Brief History of Power, one of many excellent podcasts you could listen to, but one you should listen to right now because uh, it is, is one for our times, yes? Otherwise, you know the general reality is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. This means you have been fully paid for. This means you are immortal now, no matter what the rest of the world looks like, and Jesus Christ's return is imminent. That is, he's not going to be long anyway. The water of your baptism sealed it. The food of the supper feeds it. It's free. It's a gift. You might as well join. That's Christianity, and we don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. No, no, no. We lift up our heads and all the more as we see the day approaching.